Are you prepared to be scared? I'm prepped. We're about to put the monster in Monstoven. And it's gonna get spooky. Now! The following film contains some scenes that may be frightening for some viewers. Watch out for boos and bangs and oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming moments. Because they're in there. Parental guidance is recommended. with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Stretch. And this week on Cinemodities, we are going even further into Monstober. And who did you say you were, Zach? I thought you were lefty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too busy staring at my ha- my right hand to be lefty. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yes, we are going deep into second week of Monstober. Uh, we're getting a little bit of a theme going along that's going to be broken next week. Well, or actually, kind of not really, now that I think about it. Um, but last week, we talked about somebody who killed a lot of people. This week, we're talking about a family that kills a lot of people. And since this was a Zach's choice, as all of Monstober is, um, before I throw it over to him for the context and why it was chosen, I do want to give a little peek behind the curtains, specifically saying that, you know, I think it's a running joke on this podcast now that Zach is constantly tweaking and changing Monstober, you know, for every year. I think in the spreadsheet, we got Monstobers out till 2030 or something like that. And they're constantly in this state of flux. I do have to say, correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, I believe this film that we're discussing stayed in the Monstober list for a very long time, and the only thing you changed was its location in the month. Is that correct? No, well, this was on the short list for a while. No, next week's movie is the one that's been on there the longest. Okay, okay. I guess I'm thinking because when you sent me this film, uh, I've, I've had it in my files for a while kind of thing. Well, I say it to you because I'm like, no, this was this had to be sent to you maybe sometime in August because I when I watched it, I said, oh, like I, I this has to be a Monstober film. Like this mm-hmm. was one of those ones I went looking for inspiration. I'm like, okay, how do you argue against this? And that's how it ended up. But no, I'd say next week's movie was the one that was there the longest. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, and also probably in existence the longest. Correct. <laughs> Uh, for Monstober? Yeah, I guess Yeah, so. for Monstober, I think. All right. Well, then, we've, uh, we've danced around it enough. Would you like to introduce what we're discussing this week? Folks, we are talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Texas Chainsaw Massacre Harder. <laughs> yes. Texas <laughs> Chainsaw Massacre. of a trick, baby. <laughs> you beat me to it, Rob. You beat <laughs> me to it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so... Is there any reason, uh, before I get into my, my, I don't have too much history with this film or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies as a whole, was there a reason that you wanted to go for number two rather than number one this month? Well, 
Yes, Rob, because I think it's, Rob's made it clear in how he knows what I want to do. There will be a day, folks, where we'll have the the origins of the slasher genre fort year, where <laughs> I spend 14 years delving into what film began the slasher genre. And I, the problem, though, with this, though, is that it, it's just enough divorced from the first film that it stands on its own being like, oh, you don't need a lot of context from that first film. Because in any sort of sane, just world, we would have probably done number one first. Or probably the first horror podcast to ever do the second film without ever covering the first one. Okay. It, and I did watch the first one, in, in, not in preparation for this, but like before re-watching this. Mm-hmm. And the first one should be discussed at some point because it is, it's its own unique thing. It has a cultural significance and historical significance for horror movies and just overall cinema as a whole. But no, the part, the reason why I chose this movie was ever since we did dead alive back in June, that closed a lot of doors when it comes to Montstober, because one of the films I always kind of envisioned on doing for Montstober this year was tales from the crypt demon night. Yep. And as I rewatched it for that, for not in preparation, but kind of like just scoping out what i wanted to do this year i'm like oh wait this is kind of like i don't want to say derivative of dead alive it's not because it's its own separate thing though but it has some of the same like hallmarks of dead alive and that applies also to reanimators rob knows i've talked about reanimator for a while now mm-hmm. and after seeing dead alive it's like oh how do we how do we ever talk about reanimator without constantly talking about how great it is, but it's not as good as Dead Alive? Okay. It, that's the problem. Dead Alive, I, I think I said it back in the episode and I'll say it again. It definitely closed a lot of doors when it comes to that specific type of movie. Mm, sure, sure. But no, the reason why I chose this though is that I feel that there's enough zany, wacky stuff going on in this. It's definitely for me has that monstober vibe to it. And I think it's a movie that hopefully has a place somewhere in the cinematis canon <laughs> but uh no i feel like it's strange and goofy enough but it's strange and goofy in a very separate way than something like dead alive yeah yeah i definitely um agree with you there is some goofiness some zaniness uh it definitely kind of just keeps ramping up as we get more and more towards the end especially when the father or the cook goes on a rant about like taxes and shit at a certain point <laughs> And he's like, he's like, the small businessman always gets fucked in the ass by the government. And I'm like, what? I'm like, what's going on? They were just torturing somebody. But- Rob, do you, do, don't forget that prior to him saying that, he gets chainsawed up the asshole. So. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So. Come on, Rob. You got to give the proper context <laughs> to that line. Oh, man. So uh, I guess with my context, I don't believe I had ever seen this film before. I think I might have seen parts of it. Um, there were a few scenes that, you know, gave me like a little sense of deja vu or vagueness of maybe I saw it, you know, I was watching other people watch it and only caught certain bits and pieces of it. Um, I have definitely seen the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it hasn't been for a while. Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series, I guess, as it is the franchise, if you can even call it that, uh, it's more of one of those things I know about, like I know of its existence, but I'm not really as immersed in it. Um, so that was interesting to watch this movie. And I guess a great way to say it, you know, kind of the biggest point I have is that this film was not what I expected. <laughs> oh, you can say that again. Yep. Uh, the other thing that I want to say, uh, I'm sure we'll get into the finer details of it, but when they get into like the the family's house or factory or whatever you want to call it. Abandoned I, amusement park. <laughs> abandoned amusement park. I was kind of blown away 
by the similarities between their kitchen and the Cinemodities restaurant kitchen. <laughs> like like the bo- like the burnt body on a spit roast, like almost identical. <laughs> no, we'll get we'll get more into that with the snacks, but I think the thing I really did want to point out is that when they got to the house and the you know the the movie kind of starts moving and you get the family Leatherface is more involved, Chop Top, everything. I we I think we talked about it when we discussed Nothing But Trouble, but this movie really made me think of nothing but trouble, at least in the atmosphere, the setting of it. You know, this big crazy house, there's all these lights, um, old men in wheelchairs at the ending, you know, made me think of Dan Aykroyd. Did you get that sense? Uh, I think there's, yes, there are elements of that. You could you could obviously be like, oh, yeah, there's connections there. Whether this influenced Dan Aykroyd, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I, I could definitely see him watching this back in the mid-80s. But yeah, no, I can definitely see that connection though, because even the the grandpa is from the original film. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, so okay. the decrepit or mummified grandpa is is a leftover from the first film. <laughs> okay. You can't hold the hammer. <laughs> then, which is an exact same scene that plays out in the first film. Oh wow, I didn't okay. It's, I didn't remember it's that. It's almost it, it, it what happens to stretch toward the end of the film is almost identical to what happens to Sally at the end of the first film. Almost okay. identical. Like, it's, it's okay. them all holding Grandpa's hand. It's like he tries to beat a woman over the head. That's pretty much how both films end for oh. the most part. I guess if the family has an M.O., they stick to it, even if it's been, you know, 10 years. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Oh, right. So I don't know how you wanted to go about this, Zach. I don't know if you wanted to break this down or Context. focus on... Context. Uh, of course, of course, context. And I think the best context is that the movie starts with uh, something Zach and I used to do all the time. Drive down the road, beers in hand, shooting at road signs. Right? That was like our pastime back in the day. Yes, that's what we did all the time. We weren't throwing a dry ice into a bucket in my driveway. That was the next thing. It's like, okay, we don't have any gas, so get the dry ice out. Yes, yes. All right. So that's, that's my context, uh, this movie. <laughs> Um, influenced us subconsciously. That's how Zach and I spent our days after the movie theater, just driving around, shooting signs in upstate New York. We never got in trouble, surprisingly. But go for it. What's what's your context, Zach? All right, folks. I probably should be saving this for the inevitable like Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode that we'll do sometime in the future. But what happened was um, my first introduction to this series, Texas Chainsaw, was in 2003 with the remake. I, I just watched the remake recently. I really like the remake still to this day. And I remember when that, mo- that movie came out, I want to say within like um by two months of Freddy versus Jason. It was a really weird. It was like that. I think it was October of 2003. Freddy versus Jason came out in August. Mm-hmm. So it was that time where like, I really was into these characters at the previous Halloween in 2002. I, I got to dress up as Freddy Krueger for Halloween. So I really was just, I was in that world. But the thing was that my mother would never let me watch any of these movies. So okay. they were always kind of this, I don't want to say taboo. But there were these things that like kind of like on the top shelf and I couldn't reach for them. It was like, oh wow, these things are great. Like I just I know what they are in name only. Yeah. So you think about it, you have your Jason who's the guy with the machete, you have Freddy with this glove, and you have Leatherface with this chainsaw. Mm-hmm. And even though I think by the time I, I saw Freddy Jason Freddy versus Jason before the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, and I eventually saw that when it came out on DVD sometime like I think in like May of 2004. But when it came to the original film, I think I got that from like a blockbuster sometime like in 2005. And I, I think I put it on my TV and I got through the first like maybe minute of the film. And it just freaked me out because the very beginning of the original film is just really is a 
bizarre, frightening scene. And I'm like, nope. And I just took it out of DVD player, didn't watch it, didn't think about it again. And then it was about a year later, at the very beginning of high school, and this is where I really didn't know Rob yet, where it was kind of like, I don't know what the hell Sal and I were doing, though, but for some reason, I think it was either, it was an anniversary of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or I think maybe it had to do with that, because that was, they did the prequel to the remake, I think, came out that fall. So I remember them releasing, I still have it, it was a steelbook for the original uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I bought that, watched it, and Sal and I kind of like just amongst him and I kind of memedified it. We kind of okay. just we picked and pulled from it. Like we had all these quotes that we would sit there screaming at each other from it from the first film, being like uh, with especially Drayton Sawyer, the cook. There's a point in the first film where Leatherface like just chainsaws the door down, and when he gets home, the cook he goes, "Look what your brother did to the door!" Like <laughs> like, like we used to scream that at each other. We used to, there's another part too. Um, everybody forgets the first. Okay. We'll get to that later on. But there's also another part of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre where the cook is beating Leatherface with a broom handle. And it's like, it's one of these weird, like, it's funny that like everybody looks at that first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's like, oh, it's so frightening. And I get that in 1974 or whatever year that movie came out. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. I get how this would be like frightening in the early 70s. But if you look at that movie now, never mind like 10 plus years ago when I was in high school, when we were in high school, that movie is insanely goofy. Okay. If it, if it weren't for the fact that it's shot very much like a documentary, that's another film that I think comes across as a comedy. Not not as much as a comedy as the second film does, which is what we're going to get into though. Because I remember like it's just in that sequence, leather um the cook is beating Leatherface, and Leatherface is like ah ah, and then like the cook's like you broke the door, and he starts beating him with the. Th- it's like it's so weird and goofy. Like I don't get how this is scary. It's funny to me. Um, I don't know how you can look at it as scary. It's comical. Um, but anyway, though, so like Sal and I just made a joke out of the first movie. And then I found uh, the second movie later that year. And we kind of, to a lesser extent, I think at that point, like we kind of like all of our inertia or just energy was burned on the first film mm-hmm. because it was kind of like, okay, the second film's almost too easy to make fun of and pull, pull things out of. Because I know like we'd sit there, we would go around like yelling at each other, Drayton did it again. Drayton did it again. As he's like driving his little, like, oh God, yep. his little food stand van around. <laughs> again. Drayton did it again. <laughs> number one. Number one. The Sawyers are number one. <laughs> number one. <laughs> and there's like, of course, there's the dueling chainsaws and stuff. But Leatherface got my plate. He dented my plate. My brain's burning. Now I'm flashback. Now I'm flashback. Oh, I was, I was cracking up. He dented my plate. Oh, my brain is burning. Now I'm flashback. Now I'm flashback. Oh, Leatherface, you bitch. Look what you did to my sonny Bono wig, dude. Oh, God damn, I can't believe it. You have to buy me a new plate cover. You have to buy me a new plate cover, Leatherface. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this, there's a lot in this movie. This movie's blatantly a comedy. Like, you don't know, it has some of the horror elements in it, mm-hmm. but it is much more a black, dark comedy than it is a horror movie, which is clearly what the first film was trying to go for. And that's pretty much my context. Because like I've I've seen 
the first again, the first, the second one, the third one. I've never seen the fourth one with uh, Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger. Never seen that. Seen the remake. Seen the prequel to the remake. Saw the second. The the oh god, what would you call it? The J.J. Abrams esque like sequel to the first film where it's just like, oh, we're going to ignore all the other sequels. And this is the <laughs> official sequel to the first film. Um, I saw that. That wasn't very good. That one's horrible. Like it ends with, it ends with the main girl, like finding out that like she's cousins with Leatherface and somehow like it takes place in the modern day, despite the fact that like the first film took place like in 74. So the big joke was like, if this is supposed to be like a continuation, Leatherface would be like a 70 year old man. Yeah. He would not be able to run around. And like she ends the movie, like like she finds out that she's like a ad- like adopted and Leatherface is her cousin. It ends like with her friends like being cornered by Leatherface, but like she finds out that like, oh, like Leatherface's family. And the movie ends with her being like, like all of her friends are like, help us, help us, main girl. And she's like, get him, cuz. And she like kills all of her friends. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is this? <laughs> it's such a weird movie. It's so disjointed. It makes no sense. Um, I'd say out of all like the slasher, like Titans, your Freddy's, your Jason's, your Michael Myers, I'd say the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise is the one where it's the most disjointed because I don't think the same entity owns more than one film in the series. Okay. Okay. Every, every film in the series is owned by a different entity. And I know, like, the joke with the first film is, like, it, it was, like, oh, God, Toby Ho- Hooper sold the rights to the movie to, like, the mob. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> so, so, like, yeah, the first story, the first movie has, like, a fabulous story and how it got made. Um, but, no, the second movie. But, no, that's kind of my entire history with the second movie. And I really didn't think about it much. Like, again, I, I, I always remembered it, like, again, Dennis Hopper just being, like, out of his mind, um, dueling chainsaws. And he has uh, chainsaw holsters. Chainsaw holsters. Yeah, I always remember certain things about it. I remember it being really, really goofy. And it wasn't until like looking for movies this month, Stober, that I put it. In, I put it in the DVD player and I was watching it, and I'm like, God damn, this is so weird. This is such a weird, goofy ass movie. And it is so different from something like Dead Alive. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, we have to talk about this. Right on, right on. Yeah, I think it, it fits perfectly. Uh, I definitely agree that it's goofy. It fits that Monstober vibe. So absolutely checks all those boxes. Good, good. I'm glad. And it also connects to uh, the first movie in Monstober, and that features someone wearing a mask. Uh, I thought you were gonna say Tom Savini, but that that too, I guess, masks. <laughs> well, I figure I figure goosebumps. Oh, oh, okay. I I when you said first episode of Monstober, I was thinking Ted Bundy, because uh the goosebumps gets the um what the uh, the poor orphan status of Monstover? <laughs> it's a bastard redhead stepchild of Monstover. Yes. Okay, yeah. So it definitely does. Um, but then I guess with Tom Savini, it also connects to yeah. uh, what we had last week. And also, if you remember in Ted Bundy, I made a comment about one of the um, the signs, one of the people who were like waiting for Ted Bundy to be uh, executed, referenced a Talking Head song at the beginning of this movie when the the two douchebags in the car who were drinking and shooting road signs call the radio station. They request a Talking Heads song. And I was like, oh, wow, two movies of Talking Heads. And then I just kind of paused and realized, wait, these things happened in the like mid to late 80s when the Talking Heads were like the biggest band in existence. So, of course, they would be referenced this much. But it's always cool. <laughs> yeah. All Monstobers can be connected, folks. Hopefully. Hopefully. Perfect. Perfect.
All right. So, so I have uh, to ask Rob, yeah. did you like this? Yeah, I would say overall I enjoyed it. Um, the beginning, I think, was uh, maybe not the very beginning, you know, because after the um, the car gets run off the road and Dennis, uh, Dennis Hopper shows up, kind of everything from Dennis Hopper showing up to um, Stretch and, and LG, uh, the, the radio station people getting taken away by or half taken away, I guess, by the um, the killers, the Leatherface and Chop Top. That kind of was slow for me, where it was just like, you know, he goes and buys chainsaws, and I'm like, why is he fighting chainsaws with chainsaws? Like, why wouldn't a gun work, you know? But then, once they get to the house, and kind of it all starts to go along, then it, it hooked me back in, and I was definitely on board for it. Um, I guess even maybe before then, one of the scenes that I remembered, I think is the scene that I might have seen or caught a bit of back when maybe someone I was living with in college was watching this, when Leatherface is trying to kill Stretch in the radio station, and he gets like oh, horny. Yeah. Like that, that's, <laughs> I was like, this, either I've seen this or I've seen something that's, you know, an homage or a reference to this. Um, but that, that's where it kind of started to pick up. Cause once Chop Top shows up and, you know, he does his whole voice and he's doing, he's like, I want, I'll take the tour. This is a lamp. This is a, this is a squishy person. This is a typewriter. That's the exit sign. Now it's time to leave. And he's, you know, like scraping his metal plate with the hot, uh, hanger, uh, coat hanger. All of that was great. So it was a little dip near the beginning, but everything else I was totally on board for. Actually, I felt the exact opposite with this, right? I feel like the first half is really strong. And then the later, like the longer the movie goes on, it's like, okay, we get it. She's like, she's running around their little like encampment trying to avoid detection. You have Dennis Hopper just randomly chopping down like support beams. Yes, and then, I love then, that. And then the last <laughs> like, what are you doing, Dennis Hopper? <laughs> then the very last like 10, 15 minutes is when all hell breaks loose. Yes, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I definitely thought it ramped up and it kind of just kept going and going and going for me. All that craziness with the, with the cook screaming about his taxes, like I mentioned. And then really, I think that last scene and that last shot specifically, that was like the cherry on top for me. I loved that. Yeah. Like for the most part, like as again, this not, again, we're not going to break this down scene by scene though, but just kind of highlighting some like the favorite moments is that like, even how it begins, I've always enjoyed how I always felt the beginning of the movie is more like you know yes you have your your douchebag characters and how i've always liked the beginning you have leatherface like wearing nubbins mm -hmm. rob do you know who nubbins is is he the the hitchhiker from the first movie yes nubbins okay, okay. is the hitchhiker and the joke is the original actor who played the hitchhiker he was promised money from the first film never got it and like <laughs> supposedly to this day he's still furious about it Oh, okay. And so, and so he like refuses to do anything. Like he refuses to like discuss this movie. Like he hardly ever goes to like conventions and things. Like he like he wants no parts of this. And that's why even like you never really hear his name anymore. And why Bill Mosley kind of his chop his chop chop. Oh my god. Whatever his name is, <laughs> I think it's Chop, chop Top. Yeah, Chop Top. It's just a, it's a weird tongue twister. Um, chop Top. He like that's where he's kind of like inherited the role in a way. It's almost or mm -hmm. not inherited, but like the successor to the role because they're almost the same character for all intents and purposes. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Uh, but no, like I've always thought that sequence where they're driving in the car and it's like you you have like the ch he chainsaws through his head and you see yeah. like the top of his skull like just slide off and the blood starts spurting out. I always felt that was like from almost like a different movie than what the rest of the film is. Because yes, the film is gory at times. Where we have like you have the uh, the manager get his face sliced off, mm. you have that sort of stuff. But for the most part, this isn't really like an overly gory film in the way you'd think. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I thought there was going to be more of it. Um, it. It was when the gore happened. It was definitely gory, but it was kind of like uh, few and far between those instances. It wasn't like a um, an all out blood fest. Yeah, not the way you'd think. Because there is mm-hmm. your weird stuff. Like at one point we have Leatherface who's impaled with a chainsaw, and he's like, like he like, because <laughs> that's a thing that happens in this. Yep. <laughs> um, again, like I said the cook gets a, a chainsaw up the asshole. Like that. Like there is stuff like that though, but it's not as over the top as you'd expect. The mm-hmm. overtop nature is more in the concept than it is in the execution of it. Yes, yes. Because even like like again, I think the performances too. Because I think the part that really sold me on this, because I I had not watched this, had to be at least in ten, like it has to be over ten years. And the thing that sold me on making this monster is when Lefty kind of not Lefty stretch corners, like kind of like locks herself like in the storage thing, and then Leatherface shows up and starts pelvic thrusting with the chainsaw. Yes. <laughs> At that moment, I'm like, how is this a thing that happens in this movie? <laughs> is this, uh, can we, I wanted to pose this question to you. Um, it, it goes along with what we were discussing last week about, uh, I guess, maybe having a keyword for films or a tag on films. Furious masturbation. <laughs> Does this count? Because this is Leatherface's form of furious masturbation. Like, like, does furious masturbation have to be the actual act of true biological masturbation, or does this count? Because to Leatherface, I would imagine that to, that his chainsaw is his genitals to some extent. So does this count, Zach? Did that come up in your notes at all? It's like a weird form of dry humping. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, so I don't know. I was kind of on the fence. It was like, this seems like it falls into that category, but it's not exactly what we were discussing, so... I don't know. It's it's a great mystery of the of the cinematodies universe. You know what Leatherface should have done to get with Stretch? What? The platonic sleepover. The b- <laughs> starts with dry humping and eventually leads to insertion. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no that that sort of stuff though, because like a little bit of the context on this, because I remember back like when I said that text the the. The new age sequel that came out like seven, seven or eight years ago, when Toby Hooper was still alive, he's no longer with us. He was at, I think, the premiere and he came out on stage, like introducing the film. He's like, I've seen this movie. I directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And this movie right here is the true official to my film from 1970. So, so I'm like, I'm like, oh, God, like I, I never understood why he threw threw this film under the bus. Mm-hmm. But then I found out apparently was that he signed a deal with Canon Films. Canon Films being the ones that would go on to like make all these kind of like schlocky action films from things like Cobra, the latter uh, Death Wish films, and apparently they wa- they got the rights to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. And they called him up, and they're like, "Toby Hooper, we want you to direct the sequel." And he's like, "I don't want to do this. This is I, I never want." Apparently, Toby Hooper never wanted to be a horror director, and unfortunately, that's just what he got tied to forever. And he's like, "Okay, if I direct this for you, I want to make two movies. One of them, I think, is like an invasion from Mars movie, okay. and the other one is Life Force, which is another film that was on the Cinematis Monstober shortlist because Life Force is a bonkers movie. Okay. It's a movie about vampires that suck the living like daylights at people. It's it's another it's it's very similar to this in the same sense where it's like I can't believe this is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, what happened was both of those movies came out before or or were produced and made and released before this, and they both bombed. So now, like the studio heads were like, "All right, Toby Hooper, you cost us a lot of money." 
you can't mess this up for us. And he still didn't really want to do this. So this, and he kind of took like an attitude of, I don't care. Gotcha. Okay. And that was the kind of thing. It took a while for this movie to kind of be recognized as the bizarro gem that it is. Because mm-hmm. I know, I forget what it was I was reading, but like a couple of things were like, when this first came out, like the horror fans of like the mid 1980s just absolutely crapped on this. Mm, okay. Like they were unforgiving. Which is, again, I don't get why, considering that, like, by the mid-80s, you already had, like, three Nightmare on Elm Street movies, you had, like, five-plus Friday the 13th, you (laughs) had, like, three or four Halloween movies, and never mind all the other, like, off-brand stuff, like Prom Night, uh, My Bloody Valentine, Evil Dead, Um, you had all this stuff, and I don't get why audiences then would be that unforgiving. Like, I don't know why. Like, you'd think this would become, like, a, like, not to say, like, mass audiences, Mm -hmm. but I mean, like, people that were in this, like, subgenre of horror would be like, oh, like, we like this, it's different. Yeah, yeah, I I can't, uh, well, I mean, since it is different from the first one, I think, you know, maybe that's, uh, we see it happening while we're alive today, but I'm sure human nature has constantly been repeating itself, where it's something like, the fans didn't get exactly what they wanted, so they they hated it to some extent. Maybe, yeah. Again, I don't know. It's just the whole idea that like I get it because again, you think of that first film as such a very specific tone yeah. to it, and this is also a much more slick, polished film than the first film is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because even like you look at some of the sets in this movie, like the whole like amusement park set, and pretty much everything is like everything looks like it's well done. Like it, there's there's nothing cheap about this movie. Yeah, uh, in yeah. a visual sense. Yeah, I enjoyed the atmosphere for sure. Yeah, because you do have all this stuff. Like, the whole underground, like amusement park sets, those are great. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But no, but yeah. like some of the scenes in. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I was about to say, I'm thinking of some scenes in this movie where I think it's near the end when um, Stretch is running away from Chop Top, and it's it's almost like uh, the an early simplified version of parkour. They're basically able to like jump off walls and grab on ropes and go up to like different levels and stuff, just because there's so much going on in this setting it's great yeah because like even like prior to that you do have the whole thing where the the radio station plays a big part in it and like even some of the other stuff that happens in this that really because apparently the story and i found a video online from uh joe bob briggs who like was the host of monster vision and like all yeah he got he he's really he's kind of he disappeared for a while and now like he's he's coming back or he's come back for a couple of years now, but like I saw a talk he did during a screening of this, at, I think the Alamo draft house. And he talks about like, like, cause he apparently filmed a cameo for this that got cut from the movie where apparently he showed up the set and like, Oh, uh, Joe Bob Briggs, you want to be in the movie? So him and the screenwriter, like spent an entire day figuring out like, like this writing a scene for him to be in <laughs> it involves him being like at a movie theater with two, like, he describes them as bimbos and he's explaining to them like how like horror movie visual effects work. Mm-hmm. And then the scene ends with like Leatherface popping out of like a, a van about to kill him. Okay. That makes me it. think of, makes me think of like, um, gremlins Two, that movie theater scene, you know, where, he, cause you said he's in the theater describing the movie or the horror movie to some people. It's, yeah. Okay. Like Interesting. That, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Cause apparently, the co-writer of this, uh, Kit Carson, according to Joe Bob Briggs, wanted to make a Texas Chainsaw Massacre film in the vein of The Breakfast Club. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because, you have my attention? 
<laughs> and the extension of that is that the official movie poster for this is a recreation of the Breakfast Club movie poster. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I don't. I don't know if I caught that. Yeah, that's that's the official movie poster. It's like with uh, with nothing oh, laying down, laying down, and the okay, yeah. Leatherface has his fists up in the air, like what, Judd, Judd Nelson? Yeah, I see exactly what you mean. Yep. Oh, God. Yeah, and that's the weird thing, though, is that like you have this idea of making a Breakfast Club Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, and then you have these scenes of like you have Dennis Hopper in his most like oh God. Like, apparently he filmed this right after he got out of rehab. Okay. And the joke is that, like, was he out of rehab? Because he's just, like, bonkers. In the, like, he, it's weird. It's it's when Dennis Hopper started to be known as, like, crazy man. Like, before he was always, like, this weird, like, eccentric personality, like, in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. But this is where, like, he, like, started to clean up his act. But he got more, like, his, like, the, oh, God. The notion of him being a crazy man got cemented. Okay, gotcha. Because this came out the same year as Blue Velvet. Oh, right on. Because you have sequences with him, like when he goes to like the chainsaw store, because that's a thing, and like he's like, like, oh god, and it's all done with no dialogue, and he's sitting there like picking up the chainsaws and like trying to figure out like the weight distribution, like how he can two hand them at the same time, mm-hmm. and then you have like the guy, like he starts taking, he gets two small ones and one big one, and he's like, and the, and the owner of the store is like. Those got gassed them. You want to give them a go outside? And so he just starts like, sl- like there's a giant like tree log outside. And he's just like willy nilly, just like slicing them left and right. And all, while all this is going on, you have the store owner who's like being sexually aroused by all this. Yeah, I because it keeps cutting back and forth between like the the sawdust and the smoke from Hopper hacking away at the uh, at the tree at the log, and it like cuts back to the shop owner every you know pretty quickly. And the first cut away, I thought like the shop owner was getting angry, where he's like, "Why are you fucking up my chainsaws?" Because that's not how you, not how you use a chainsaw. But then it gets to that like Zach said that weird sense of like sexual energy, and I'm like, wait. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? And I know I'm thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, this is never going to come back again. Like I was, I'm like, I'm like, this shop owner is not going to have another scene. I knew it. Like I just felt it. And I was like, what am I seeing? <laughs> well, I think it's the same thing that happens with Leatherface and the chainsaw being like an extension of his phallus. I, I think it's, I think that's the whole point. Okay. Okay. That is would that, make some sense. Yeah. It's, so this is uh, Dennis Hopper's Texas chainsaw version of furious masturbation. <laughs> Much like Ted Bundy and his big dick energy, we have big chainsaw energy. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's what I think that was kind of what probably Toby Hooper to, uh, Toby Hooper was going for was the idea that like okay, the climax of the film is going to end with these two like like forces of nature, Dennis Hopper and Leatherface fighting each other with their phalluses. That's essentially how the movie ends. 
sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. And it's not until one is like penetrated in that, like, I think what does Dennis Hopper say? He's like, I win. Yeah, he, he has some exclamation of victory, yep. And that's what it is. And it's like, oh, and the whole fact, too, that you have, like, it's not by accident, too, that Dennis Hopper takes his chainsaw and shoves it up the cook's ass. Mm-hmm, it's like, oh, that's not. That's not by accident. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, definitely. Uh, it's okay. Get that kind of sexual overtones. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Which wasn't really like in the first film. It like it wasn't sexual in that sort of like blatant sense. It was more mm-hmm. like, oh, this is a bunch of just like inbred hillbillies in the middle of nowhere. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Because in the first one, like you do have, like you have the cook, you have the hitchhiker, you have Leatherface, and you have Grandpa. And then at one point, I think Sally goes upstairs into the attic and she finds Grandma. And Grandma's like even more of a mummified like corpse than Grandpa is. Mm. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because even I'm thinking now, even at the start of this movie, the second one, you know, when those those uh, assholes are driving around shooting at road signs and they eventually call in to stretch at the radio station, they're even, you know, being. Uh, crass and lewd towards her and oh yeah for some reason she can't hang up the phone which i didn't understand We're, well you, do you yeah. remember back in the day how something okay I, I, people are always bothered by this and i can't figure out why because i remember when like everybody used to have like landlines they use and that was the main way everybody talked to each other i remember mm-hmm. it used to happen with my father sometimes like if you had like an older phone and then if somebody didn't like put the phone down exactly right on the receiver it wouldn't disconnect the call so it's it's the idea of like just because if both people both people had to hang up for the phone call to be disconnected. So if you kind of like oh god um forgot to or you didn't hang up your phone properly, the call would still be connected no matter how many times you hung up. Sure. It took back in the day both people had to hang up for a call to be disconnected. It's not like today where like with cell phones as long as one person disconnects it ends the call. I, uh, yeah, I get that. I think I, what you said made me realize that I, I was more bothered by the fact that it they were doing this and it was a radio station. Like, radio stations shouldn't be relegated to that simple technology. Oh, like, uh, okay. I've heard of, like, old school radio stations having, like, switchboards and stuff, so that wouldn't happen to them. But what you said makes perfect sense. And in the context of the movie, they're in some, like, dinky little warehouse. Two people running this radio station, it seems. Yeah. Of course they wouldn't have that type of technology. So that makes some more sense. Yeah. So that's why it's like one of those weird sort of nitpicks with this movie where I've heard people complain about it. I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. That's your that's your biggest complaint with this? Not the fact that we, <laughs> not not the fact that we have oh like just some of the weird stuff that goes on in this. Like Bubba's got a girlfriend. Bubba's got a girlfriend. And yep. then the whole thing with his plate, he's sitting there, he's lighting a like again, you have a character lighting a coat hanger with a a lighter and he's scratching off the dead skin around his like plate on his skull that's fine but the idea of not being able to hang up a phone call people are like god damn it this movie yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah because that's the thing too like even like bill mosley's performance like that, that again that is like his biggest calling card now oh maybe not now because he has done a bunch of other things bill mosley's like been like dozens upon dozens of projects but like that's like that is the thing that I would say for the most part because Leatherface's thing changes with like every movie, okay. And the 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 chop top character or the technically the hitchhiker character, they've never tried to repeat that after this. That character mm. never got kind of brought back because even in the remake from two thousand three, there is a hitchhiker character, but it's not an, it's it's the hitchhiker character in name only. 
Oh, okay, okay. It has no connection to the character from the first film or this one. Do you know who did the 2003 remake? Who directed it? Yes, the same person that directed the Friday the 13th remake. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> see, you see, Rob doesn't need a name. He knows exactly <laughs> who I'm talking about. <laughs> yep. I, th- I think his name is Marcus Nispel, I want to say. something. It's, it's got to be something close to that. Okay, okay, right on. Yes. But no, yeah, the 2003 film. I, I was considering that, too, for a second, folks. But I decided, you know what? If we ever do the origins of the horror franchise thing or of the slasher genre... We'll get to the remake of two, in 2003. That will definitely be in there somehow. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, this movie, it's, like, juxtaposing it with that 2003 remake. Like, the 2003 remake has a sense of humor, but it's a completely polar opposite type of humor. Where this one's much more tongue-in-cheek. That film has a very, like, dark and sadistic type humor. Okay, okay. Like I said, that, that, that 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's really, like, I get it, it's derivative because, oh, it's a remake, but mm-hmm. it, do, it very much does its own thing. Oh, interesting. Like I guess okay. that's, that might, you know what, folks, the fourth week the fourth week of Monstober is still up in the air as of this point, so there's a possibility that we might end up back there. There's a possibility. <laughs> so I, have a lot, I have a lot more to say about that film than I do about this one. Okay, okay. But yes, right so, de- so yes, uh, again, like I said, I guess, uh, should we break down the plot of this film, Rob, for people who haven't seen it? Without, again, not break down, like, scene by scene, but should we give, like, a general, like, synopsis? Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, you know, after, what, 40 minutes of talking, <laughs> about, about the correct time to do such a thing. <laughs> um, so, uh, it starts with, of course, I think we described that scene, the, the assholes driving around, drinking, shooting things, calling the radio station. They get uh, attacked by... Leatherface, and as Zach said, Leatherface is like wearing the corpse of the hitchhiker over him, which was a really cool effect. Uh, Leatherface kills, runs those teenagers off the road, or however old they are, and they uh, die. Like Zach said, one of them gets part of their head cut off. But while this is all happening, they are still on the phone with the radio station. So the the stretch, the radio DJ, uh, has a recording of their accident. She wants to give it to Dennis Hopper, who is trying to run down his what is it his his brother or his nephew or his nephew the, and niece or his yeah. nephew cuz cuz he's technically the uncle of Sally and Franklin from the first one. Yes, and so he's been on the tail of this uh the the chainsaw murderers for years. I think they it's been like 13 years or something he says or 10 to 13 and uh Stretch wants to give him this information, but he's like no, I'm going to do it alone. After he gets his three chainsaws, he figures well, I guess I can't do it alone. He has this plan for Stretch to play the tape on air, and maybe, you know, as as Dennis Hopper describes it, maybe someone will hear this and stop thinking that he's crazy because it seems like the other cops want to bury the chainsaw murders. But it turns out that he was just using her as bait. The family shows up, takes them away, and then they all have to have their showdown in the abandoned theme park mansion-esque thing. I think that's what we're calling it, right? Yes. Yep. And then, of course, you know, violence and uh, weirdness ensues. And uh, I think the ending, some of those ending scenes, especially Nam Land that Chop Top starts screaming about, that we'll have to talk about. Um, but was there anything I missed? It's pretty much overall kind of, you know, slashers show up, slashers take people, got to go into the den of the monster to stop the slashers. 
Yes, I think that's a pretty good synopsis because there's a couple things in there that I find. There's a couple scenes in this that I can't figure out. Like some of them are more just like technical goofs that like are inescapable in the movie. Other ones, I'm like, why is this scene in the movie? It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know they cut some things out, but the first one being that when we're on the bridge with the the douchebags and Leatherface is attacking them, how long is that bridge, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> They're going like, 60 miles per hour for like five minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's um, it's like just the never ending bridge. <laughs> it's the um, it's the bridge from or I don't know what's a bridge, but it's the same stretch of road from Inception in the dream when. Uh, um, oh, God, what's her name? Not Juno. The person El- who played El- Juno. Ellen Page. Ellen Page, when she, like, does the mirror thing and it, like, cracks and it goes on forever. Like, that's how this bridge was created. It is just a portal. When you get to one end, you go through a portal that puts you back at the other end. It's the it's the Sisyphean bridge. Because <laughs> it also, because another th- moment like that in another movie is, I don't think Rob's ever seen this, but it's in the sixth Fast and Furious film. Where there's, like, a, there's, like, a, jo- yeah. I definitely have not seen it. <laughs> there is a like cargo plane taking off from like a runway and like Vin Diesel and friends are like trying to stop it. And so like the plane's like constantly trying to get off the ground, but they're like, sh- like firing like, Oh God, I don't want to say tow cables. Cause that's, that's a very specific thing, but they're firing like harpoons to keep sure. it like, like, and they're hooking it to the car. So it can't like, get off the ground and the whole thing is like, and that action se- sequence goes on for like 20 minutes and yet they just keep going on this runway. It's like how long I remember somebody actually did the math and the runway would have to be 60 miles long. Nice. Okay, right on. (laughs) So no, but it reminds me of that. There should be a really like a a tag or a subgenre on IMDB called like long stretches of roadway films. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I get behind that. (laughs) Much like Furious Masturbation, we'll put that up there too. Look forward to those series, folks, when we do a long stretches of roads and the Furious Masturbation series. (laughs) Um, I can't wait to watch what what'd you say it was the sixth one? What's that? Six fast, six furious? Is that the formula? (laughs) Like, it's just always number fast, number furious type of thing. Fast and Furious 6, Confessions of a Trick Baby. (laughs) Hobbs, Fast, Shaw, Furious. (laughs) Vin Diesel, Confessions of a Trick Baby. (laughs) There there you go. (laughs) Oh, God. It's hard to believe there's, like, what, nine of those films now? Yep, and I I think I've still only seen one. (laughs) (laughs) Good old Tokyo Drift and Bow Wow's Hulk car. (laughs) um no then like the next scene after that that i was kind of like found like jarring is that we have like again uh stretch here's the thing she she has the recording of it and she goes to lefty in his hotel room and like we see her like in the hallway of the hotel and like it's a bunch of like ruckus going on and it looks like a bunch of guys were going to attempt to like do something illicit to her oh yeah it's not until he opens the door and like pulls her in and I'm like, because right prior to that scene, we have him at like the crash scene of the accident. And I love how it's like a bridge, but it's not. It's clearly not the same bridge from earlier. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's no, uh, it's no, there's no suspension or anything. Yeah, it's completely it's different location. Completely different. They figure no one's going to notice. And like lefties, like all mad. It's like you people, you people keep saying that like this is an accident. It's not. And then like Stretch goes to him in the hotel and I'm not sure if this was like an outtake they just put in the movie because like it, the, the character that Dennis Hopper's playing at this moment is not the same character he's playing in any other part of the film. 
Yes. <laughs> He's just like, like he, I'm not sure if he was like having like a relapse or going through withdrawal because he was just like spaced out of his mind. And then next thing we know, like I said, he goes looking for the chainsaws. He gets them. We see stretch cover the chili cook off. We're introduced to Drayton, reintroduced to Drayton again, played by Jim Seedow, the only like returning character from the first film. Okay. And we see Lefty there at the radio station, and he's like, I'm going to take you up on your help. Mm-hmm. And it's like, where did this come from? Yep, exactly. Like, like 10 minutes ago, he was, like, staring into the abyss while looking at the back of his hand. Yeah, that, that confused me, too, but I, I was just like, okay, you know, plot's got to move along. I, I wonder, though, like, I, I get it, though, but, like, I get it. Stretch is there to help Lefty. But why is Lefty just like, uh, uh? It's like, like he's out of it as a character. And I'm like, what? Like, you couldn't do another take? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Because it's not even just the performance that's weird. It's also just the, it's the script. Because he really says, like, I don't want your help. Like, I don't need you. And it's like, but you you do. Because he uses, like you said, he uses her as bait later in the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But whatever, I guess. So no, like you have that, and like the whole thing with Chop Top, like his entire, like if we could insert his entire scene, we I wish we could, but it's like what seven or eight minutes long. Hey kids, while editing, Rob said, "Fuck it, we're putting the whole clip in." I wanna, I wanna buy some radio ad time. Are you fucking crazy? We are closed. Off the air till tomorrow. You'll have to just come back. No, but, but yeah, but, whoa. So this is Radio Land, huh? The infinite turtle, the, the waves through the ether fuzz roll on forever. <laughs> Can't close that. Hi, I know what you're thinking. This is weird, huh? But I can handle it. <laughs> no. You're my fave. <laughs> Me and Bubba, my little brother, we listen to you every night. <laughs> Music is my life. <laughs> you know, you're my fave, but, but I get too embarrassed to phone in my request. It's too disembodied, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, now that we're here in, in flesh and blood, I, I could maybe make a request and, and it'd still count, huh? Uh, sure. Hmm? Well, what about uh, uh, Iron Butterfly? <laughs> you know, like uh, uh, in a Vita de Gata, baby. Oh, <laughs> it's heavy. You know, uh, I've never been to a radio station before. Do you think you could do me a tour, huh? Tour? <laughs> tour. Sure. Mm -hmm, sure, but seriously quick, and it ends at the exit sign. Oh, boy, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, your tour, here's your tour, here's your tour, here's a lamp. Yeah, hey, lamp. <laughs> here's typewriter. Ooh. Rubber man. Uh-huh, rubber man, I like him. <laughs> Armadillo. Oh. Here's Mr. Shark. Oh, Mr. Shark. <laughs> here's some flowers. Rolodex. There's a lamp. Oh. And there's the exit sign. Tumor's over. Ah. <laughs>
not. Oh, oh good night. <laughs> good night. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Good night. <laughs> hey, what about my request? You know that lefty request record that you you honked out today? I love that. Anyway, the, the, the Rambo 3 soundtrack. <laughs> Gonna play it again? She would like it. Hey, maybe I could get a copy. And, and you could autograph it to, uh, Far out fan! <laughs> hey, what's in here? Record vault. Oh, where you keep the golden oldies? And, uh, and maybe, uh, maybe the new music. Oh, it's it so awesome when he shows up and she, because she hears the noise or something and she goes downstairs to the radio station. He's just sitting there on the couch and he just starts ranting and raving. And oh, it, it was great. Oh, and it's really because, and that's something I gotta give the movie credit for, is that like while he's doing this, and like the te the tension just keeps getting like amped up higher and higher, and it's like he's like going through all these things, and he really is creepy. It really is kind of like, like I know we have like a bunch of those like crazy, like I know the first film created that archetype of like the crazed like person that looks mm -hmm. like I guess looks normal from a distance, but the closer you get, the more kind of just like how he looked between like his his what his oh god um. Oh god, what's the wig called that he wears? The sunny, the sunny, sunny. I think he he calls it like a sunny bono wig. The sunny bono wig. Thank you. That's I, I tip my tongue. The sunny bono wig and just the like the vest, the very hippie vest, the colors. Like yep. it's great. It really is. Like a, as a character design, it's it's fabulous. And just how he keeps going on and on, especially thing with the plate and the coat hanger. And then as the scene's about to end, all. Well, you don't know it's about to end at this moment, though. But then out of nowhere, she's like, and this is where we keep the records. And then Leatherface just turns his chainsaw on all at once. And it's a genuine jump scare. Yeah, yeah. That was surprising, for sure. For, like, a jump scare to, to work on me. You know, I definitely jumped a little. And for it to not feel like it was cheap or a waste of time or the movie's, like, attempt at horror. It actually felt like it. I was on board. You know, Stretch was freaking out she had no no idea what to do because this random weird dude is screaming at her almost in the her radio station when it's past midnight and then he uh, leatherface pops out and it's great it's like that's what that character's feeling and they conveyed it perfectly yeah like i said it's it's great it's great filmmaking it's like you know what it's like any sort of good magic trick it's called be distracted by the one hand while the other one performs the trick and that's what happens it's like i wish hollywood would take like a lesson like Jump scares aren't just lowering the volume, then just raising the volume to 11 all of a sudden. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> like, there is an art behind a jump scare. It's not just, like, this, this ploy you use in, like, the audio suite. Yeah, yeah. This was a, this was a great one. And it, um, you know, it, it ranks up there. I think people knew how to do jump scares back in, in the 80s. You know, I'm thinking of um, 
I'm thinking of the the thing as well. You know, there's that jump scare where Kurt Russell puts the hot metal on the blood and like the hand pops out. Like that that's one of those awesome scenes where it's like, you, okay, you've earned it. You've made it feel natural. Yeah, remember when horror directors used to actually be talented? <laughs> John, what a time that was. John Carpenter, Toby Hooper, all these like in your West Cravens. Back when like it wasn't just like, oh, we're going to put like weird stuff in front of you and just hope for the best. How do we relate this back to the Conjuring universe now? <laughs> oh God. And Annabelle in the nun in just having Patrick Wilson, Vera Famiga just stare at things until something happens. Yep. And then a jump scare. <laughs> and a jump scare. Uh, but no, okay, so after that, like you Well, I, I have to oh, I think oh, now okay. with this scene, now I have to get into um uh, the the things I loved about this scene, we've already discussed, you know, the actual performance in the movie. Um I did wanna I think the two things I have to point out are music-related. The first one I wanted to point out was in the scene where uh, Chop Top is, like, getting closer to her, and he's like, I've always, you're my favorite DJ. I listen to you every night. I've always wanted to make a request, but it's always weird calling it in. It, like, disembodies it. So can I make a request here in person? Will that still count? And she's freaking out, and she's like, uh, sure. And he requests Iron Butterfly, and then he goes on to state probably their most famous song, but he states it incorrectly. He's like, Iron Butterfly. What about like their song, In a Vita de Gata? Well, what about uh, uh, Iron Butterfly? <laughs> you know, like, uh, uh, In a Vita de Gata, baby? <laughs> it's heavy. It's In a Gata de Vita. And I don't know if that's like intentional or they just didn't care. Because, like, part of the point of that song is that, you know, it's kind of like very. Alice in Wonderland gibberish type lyrics so I, I I was kind of confused I was like is the line read incorrectly or the characters crazy or are they actually taking a jab at Iron Butterfly I don't know but I love that little bit because I was like you said the name of the song wrong the other thing uh, out of the movie is as soon as Chop Top came on screen and he started talking the twinge in my head went off and I was like I've heard this before and it was more than I had seen that part of the movie it was really like, where do I know him from? Where do I know this voice from? And of course, after looking it up, I found one of the most exciting connections I think we've had in a while on Cinemodities, that Bill Mosley, the guy who plays Chop Top, is a musician, or was a musician technically from what I found. He's retired, I think, from performing professionally. But he was actually the singer of a band called The Corn Bugs. And I know Zach is just all into that weird, you know, late 90s music. But <laughs> the Corn Bugs, he was the singer of. Uh, he had, they had a drummer from the Deli Creeps, but their guitarist was Buckethead. And everybody loves Buckethead. I think Buckethead, you know, is uh, Zach's favorite guitarist. He's definitely one of my favorite guitarists. And then it all kind of clicked together for me. That when not in Corn Bugs... Mosley would work with Buckethead in some performances and some albums. Most notably for me, one of my favorite Buckethead songs ever called Jowls. As I've always described to people, it's Buckethead's song about head cheese. And once I, all this kind of came flooding back to me, I listened to Jowls. I actually paused the movie, like I told Zach earlier, and I listened to Jowls because I got it on my phone. And right at the start, you hear his voice. <laughs> Save me the slung! And the thing that I even went further to find 
is that Bill Mosley, when he works with Buckethead and Cornbugs, he's not credited as Bill Mosley. He's actually credited as Chop Top. So on on the album Monsters and Robots from Buckethead, where Jowls is, it, it basically says, like, Buckethead, you know, Jowls featuring Chop Top. And this all kind of came back together and full circle. You know, I've been listening to Buckethead since, you know, I think when I before I met Zach. And this was just perfection. I loved this connection. And from the rest of the movie, I was just I wanted more from Bill Mosley from Chop Top. I wanted to hear that voice because it's really great. Like Zach said, he's a creepy character from everything from this, the character design to that voice and the way he kind of, you know, carries out the everything, whether it be goofy or creepy or you know, cannibalistic. Oh, it was awesome. So, you know, we do have a candidate now for something to play in reverse at the end because we have this great shop top connection. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I want to know that after Rob said bucket head, all I could hear was Jordan from guitar here. That's all I could, I just kept hearing the George song. That's all I kept hearing. After that, the audio just dropped out very similar to what happened back with the Dean Norris conspiratorial rantings where it just be the X-Files song for like six minutes straight. Very similar phenomenon, folks. Yep, yep. See, this is this is great because we've talked about uh, Dream Theater coming from Guitar Hero. Now we get Buckethead coming from Guitar Hero. Fantastic. I look forward to next week's film, which is definitely a Guitar Hero film. <laughs> so, uh, did you listen to the, the whole song or just his part? I did, Rob. I listened to it during our break, and nice. I have to say, it's it exactly great. as I would imagine it sounded. It was everything you wanted from your music, right? <laughs> oh, yes. When it's not involving dancing, it's the next best thing. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, we'll have to get uh, at least one clip in here because it's it's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, that, that whole thing was great. Um, that, that whole scene was, like I said before, that really was where I felt the movie started gaining momentum for me, and I was on board. Cool beans. So what did you have next? What was your next scene uh, of complaint uh, or whatever well, you're categorizing it as? Well, observation. Because, no, because once you have the whole thing with, like, Leatherface and Stretch, I feel the movie slows down. Because after that, you have the moment with her and, like, she, she follows them to the, to the abandoned amusement park. Lefty uses her as bait. Like, she, she falls down, like, I don't know whether it's a trap door. She falls down the proverbial well. And... Oh, yeah, Lefty's trying to, she's, like, hanging on, and she's like, help me, and Lefty gets out of his car to pull her up, and the thing he hands to her to pull her up is, like, an arm, like, bones, <laughs> and I'm like, this is gonna break, like, this is, like, why would you ever try this, like, this is not gonna work, this is gonna crumble as soon as she touches it, and that's exactly what happens. That's exactly, because it just, <laughs> she, she falls, like, what, like, 15 stories, she just keeps tumbling and tumbling and tumbling. Yeah, it made me think of the Goonies, like, when they go down that slide. <laughs> Something like that, because then she wakes up, or not she wakes up, but she kind of like falls down. She eventually bottoms out next to her friend from the, uh, not friend, what's his name, JB? 
L- I think it's LG. LG. And the fun thing about LG is that I, I love earlier in the film he try when he goes out for coffee he tries to put the he tries to put the moves on her and she just like <laughs> shuts him down immediately. Oh yeah, that interaction was great because it's so quick because they have like we get a sense of their working relationship in a few shots especially the opening and then you know when she's playing the um the tape and he's like we're gonna get in trouble blah 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 but then out of nowhere he's just like hey stretch you want to fuck and she's like no thanks lg and he goes oh shucks and leaves and i'm like oh i'm like that might be like the the most calm interaction of a sexual nature i've ever seen <laughs> well rob there is no hr department so it's like you take your shot and you miss and you move on want to go for coffee the big state nope huh i guess you're waiting on this guy lefty lg Not LG. Good night. God damn it. <laughs> there you go. I think that this should be something like, uh, you know, the um, the 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 culture of today of like getting consent. They should use this <laughs> oh, this God. scene as like an example of what to do. It's like if she says no, say aw shucks and move away. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you come back to bring her coffee, some guy comes and beats you over the head with a mallet. Yeah. <laughs> I got one. I got one. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, we have we have that. Because even earlier in the film, like when they're doing covering the uh, the chili cook off and uh, he's making a French fry hut. Oh, yeah. You better believe I got to have <laughs> stuff to say about that later. <laughs> and he yeah. even says but she comes out and she's like, oh, he didn't want to help me or whatever. Or Lefty didn't want to help me. And he goes, oh, cheer up, darling. I made you a French fry house. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, even even during that whole, that's another fun sequence because you have like we're, we're reintroduced to Drayton Sawyer there, and they actually pour the chili into his like trophy. I could not take notes under the snacks section of my note <laughs> fast enough during this scene, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Rob got like carpal tunnel just from this like one three minute sequence in the entire <laughs> film. Because I, I I I was not done typing out my ideas of French fry houses. When we got chili poured into a trophy, and it was it was just it, it kept coming. <laughs> yeah, I even love the moment too. The woman's like, "How do you do every year, Drayton?" He's like, "You need good beef. You need good prime cut." And then like yep. he starts biting it and gets like a piece of bone, and she's like, "What's this?" He's like, "Oh, it's just one of those pesky peppercorns." Yeah, that was great. And takes it from her. <laughs> yeah, it's really like it's weird because like in the first film with the character of Drayton, is that he's very much like. Oh, he's he's the less weird, the least weird out of all of them. Oh, okay. Because he even has like a line in the first film being like, "I don't take like you shouldn't take any pleasure in killing. It's just something we need to do to survive." Oh, wow. Yeah, and total then, like, change. <laughs> yeah, when he's not yelling at Leatherface for ruining the door, because uh, then like in this, he's like a hundred eighty degrees. Like he's like manic. It's just he's just he's just as crazy as the rest of them are. Yeah, because I I loved. Like as it goes on, and because he's not a he's not a huge character at the beginning, he gets more to do when you know the whole family's kind of involved at the end. But I love that throughout the entire movie, his motivation, or I guess his thought, was that other food companies were trying to get run him out of business. Yeah. Like when Dennis Hopper shows up and he's like, "Are you from that factory on Austin?" 
And Dennis Hopper's like, you shouldn't be killing people. And he goes, oh, you're one of them new age anti-meat group people, aren't you? And I'm like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> oh, I get it. The old pressure game, huh? Boys, you never should have been doing this. Who sent you? Those sissies over Delmar catering? That chicken shit burrito man bunch? <laughs> Well, I don't care, you hear? Yeah, that's right. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and from where I sit, there just ain't enough damn dog. You can't stand the heat. Get out of the damn kitchen, huh? <laughs> hey, how about that? Uh, let's make a deal right here. Real cash money. Just you and me, huh? I don't care who sent you. I'm the lord of the harvest. Who's that? Some new health food bunch? Come on. Come on. Uh, is there any money in it, you want to know? <laughs> yeah, right here. How much? Yeah, how much? Lefty. Sister. Lefty. <laughs> that's, that's the fun thing about this movie, is that it's really, like, intentionally disjointed. Yeah, or, may yeah. or maybe it is genuinely disjointed. Um, I don't know. Because like, you're right, because you have those moments where Drayton just kind of goes off on his little tangents where it's like, oh, like he's now just as loopy as the rest of them. And mm -hmm. apparently, from what I've read, Jim Seedow, the actor, he was never like a professional actor in any sense. Like he never like, yes, like Texas Chain, like, he'd done a couple of things here and there, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre one put him on the map, but like he never really like he, he never I don't think he had aspirations to go on to bigger and better things. It was just okay. this was just an opportunity and he ran with it. Sure. <laughs> or at least that's that was always my understanding of him. Who knows uh what other backstory there is to him though. Because no, you do have some of those moments. And then like you like we said earlier, is that uh, he uses lefty I'm sorry, lefty uses stretch as a means to find out where they're headquartered. And I love how like she falls down the hole and he gets his chainsaws out and he's going through the entire like bait like Abandoned amusement park and he sees like the blood Dropping out of like the mural mm -hmm. And his knee jerk reaction Is to kick it and we just have Oh good lord like I don't want to say A fountain but it's kind of like the Cinematis uh, caviar glory Hole yes. where we have just like Oh god just gore and guts Pour out of the wall mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, This is exactly why you should not kick The caviar glory hole The, the caviar is created to come out at a very set pace, you don't need to get like this much, okay, at once. <laughs> That's a bunch of the you know, same teenagers that go around. That's what they do to us. Every once in a while, they'll go and kick the wall. You know, and one of us has come out and yell at them. Be like, "God damn, kids! You get out of here, you! <laughs> go get your jizzles and clean this caviar up." <laughs> Uh, do you ever know you have that though? And I love how like that's when Dennis Hopper is like, "Burn it down!" And what's he's like? He's like, "Oh God, what's he say? Cut it down or burn it all?" Something like one, that. Yeah. He, he has another exclamation where he's like, "Bring it! Drag it down the hell, down to hell!" As he's just, and I love how we basically don't see him again for what another like half an hour. Yeah, it's like we get. Uh, he shows up. We get a few shots of him. Like we said, you know, he finds the mural. Then he starts cutting stuff down. He disappears for a while. He shows back up to find the remains of his nephew, disappears again, and then shows up for the final confrontation. Yeah. Oh, and I, I loved when um, the family, like, they're chasing after Stretch and they corner her, 
And just going along with what we said about the cook, uh, Drayton, the, one of the first things he says to her is like, so you've the one who's been running around sabotaging our operation. You've cost us thousands of dollars. You got that kind of money to fix it? And it's just like, oh, my God, they, he's really living in his own world and has no clue what's happening. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wonder, again, because I know there was a subplot they cut out where the three of them get into the van or the, the food truck and they go to the movies to go, like, get more stock, quote, unquote. Okay. And I wonder how much of that, because apparently the whole lefty stretch thing happens for a while in the sense, of, like, they're not the main three cannibals are not there. Mm, oh, interesting. So I don't know if, like, if at one point there's deleted scenes of Drayton seeing the damage. Like, yes, oh, the whole thing—the okay. whole thing of him being paranoid about being like, like uh, opposing food operation. Yeah, that's that's him being like unhinged. But I wonder if there's more to this. Mm, could be. Yeah. Yeah, anyone's guess, really. Because as this goes on, though, you do have more and more of, like, and she finds LG in, like, Leatherface is, like, filleted his face off. And that whole sequence, like, I get what they're going for. It's like, it's like it's the, oh, God, it's the emotional moment. But it's like, I, it's not that I don't care, though, but I feel it just, it slows the film down. Like, don't worry, you need that moment to mm-hmm. be more endeared to, like, stretch his struggle. Sure. But it's like, oh God. And like it, his final thing is him spitting, because that's what he's been doing throughout the entire film. He spits. Yeah. Even as he's like uh he has his face filleted off. And then like even like cause there are some gross moments in this too when Leatherface puts LG's face on top of stretches. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, like I can I, I get that that sort of stuff you need in a Texas chainsaw massacre movie. But it's like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. But yeah, cool. I I I I've i kind of feel the same way, especially when LG is like still alive and he's like, I'm gonna un- I'm gonna cut the rope and free you type of thing. That I agree with you, slowed it down. I liked the scene with Leatherface because he puts the face on stretch and then like picks her up and starts to dance with her dance in air quotes. Cause pretty much all he does is spin her. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is I, like, that really like got me. Cause I was like, man, that's some scary shit because it's like, clearly this dude's a murderer, like an insane murdering person who just put someone's face on your face. And then he's like, has this weird attraction to their main character to you. That's like kind of from the perspective of the main character. And then he's going to dance with you. But he's so kind of non-human and and far gone from society or just human culture that he thinks dancing is just spinning. Like he just he just knows that one move that he would have seen from like a music box or something. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, like that got me. That was some like so, like you know actual consciously or subconsciously psychologically scary stuff to me. And that I was like, great, you know. Once again, that that's what we want more of, or at least what I want more of in my horror. Give me a really weird, dark situation, not just a jump scare. Well, that's the weird thing, too, with Leatherface as a character. Because like every movie portrays him differently, or portrays him in a different light. Mm-hmm. Because the thing about Leatherface is that he's supposed to be, like, he's, he's visually very scary. But in the first film, the, the 70s film, he's... he's horrifying to look at because of the mask and just the whole just the aesthetic and the design of him though but he's supposed to be like almost like a mentally retarded child like he has that very stunted like mental yeah. uh uh mental growth mm-hmm. and, and it's just the whole idea that's just how he acts out like he's been he's been 
oh god taught how to just like do things with the chainsaw and he is very childlike in this one like i guess how toby hooper kind of took it was he's like a teenager in this like he has the mental attitude of a teenager where it's like oh he's horny yes yeah because even how he's designed in this he's not particularly scary looking in this compared to like most of his other incarnations okay because even in the third one, he's – and that's the thing, too, is that by the third film is when Leatherface becomes, like, blatantly malevolent. Mm, Where gotcha. the first one, he's, like – he's, again, someone with mental problems, and it's just he's been taught that's how he solves problems with his chainsaws. He listens to his family, and that's just what he is. Yep. The second one feels like, again, he doesn't even really – does he kill anybody in the second film? I guess other than the, the douchebags in the car? Uh, I don't think so, because that's the only time we really see them kill people that aren't, you know, directly related to the plot. Yeah, that's what I mean. I guess Even technically like- he kills, well, I guess it could be up for debate, you know, what kills LG? Is it the filleting of the skin, or is it the hammer to the face he got from Chop Top at the radio station? So, yeah, we don't really see him kill anyone, except that's the first I mean. opening. Yeah, yeah. And because even that, like, it's not really malevolent because, like, not to say those guys deserved it, but they're those that scene is designed or written as an okay, these characters are going to get their comeuppance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. And that's even and that's what even happens in the first film. Like, even though I, I don't mean that in the comeuppance sense, but in the first film, it's like, oh, there's a scene in that where after like, I think two or three of the kids stumble into the house, Leatherface takes them and like he put he bangs the one guy over the head with the mallet, then he puts the girl on the meat hook, and then like after that. He like opens up like he closes the curtains he looks terrified and mm-hmm. it's like again it's very it's a very spooky scary imagery but it's meant to be oh he's he's frightened he's 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 not killing these people out of a bloodlust he's killing them because these foreign unknown objects are stumbling into his world mm-hmm. and then by the time you get to the third film it's just okay leatherface is just a murderer he like he he enjoys killing people Okay, okay. And then when you get to the remake, the remix, I've never seen the fourth one. I think it's the next generation. The remake in 2003, it's just, he is a monster both like physically and internally. He's just oh. a monster that's out for blood. Okay, okay. And that even the, the prequel to the, the remake is its own thing. But no, like that's the weird thing. Like, this is like, it's after the second film that Leatherface becomes less and less of just like a misunderstood brute. And more of a, or maybe not misunderstood, more misguided. And he mm-hmm. becomes like this, this like murder machine. He becomes, a, he basically becomes a Jason Voorhees by the third film. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that's a bummer because I, I really liked that kind of interesting human element to some of his stuff, like the, the dancing scene we mentioned, and even the scene where um, uh, the the corner stretch and and Chop Top's like Bubba's got a girlfriend, and the the cook says something like. Ah, uh, you're interested in sex, and he's like, "You could choose the saw, or you could choose sex. Sex, nobody really knows what what it, what's a, what what's about it. But the saw, the saw is family, and it's like, okay, you get that sense of him being, you know, molded by these negative people above him, like like you mentioned. And I was like, great, you know, that's that's a nice little touch. You got one choice, boy: sex or the saw. Sex is well, nobody knows, but the saw. The saw is family. It's family. Why little granddad hears about this? Nature versus nurture, right, Rob? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not just the man. Something's killing us type of thing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I that's the thing. Well, there's also aspects of this too, where again, we've already talked about some of the goofier aspects. But even like with Leatherface, where he takes the chainsaw and like dances it over, like he does a dance numerous times in this. <laughs> Definitely. Like that's the sort of stuff where like, okay, did Toby Hooper just give up? Like, he, like it's like when he gets like, a phone call, like they're about to start shooting, he gets a phone call from like the producers and they like chew him out over something. He's like, you know what? F all this. Let yeah. them figure this out. Have Leatherface dance. But that's not what the script says. Just dance. Because <laughs> he does do that where he'll take the chainsaw and go, Aah! and then yep. just like run around with it. And it's like, oh, okay. And that's basically, oh God, the last, what, 15, 20 minutes of the movie with him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just him kind of doing his little dance. And then we get the chainsaw duel at the end, which is just bonkers. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah, it, it's beyond reproach at the end of the film. But no, going back to like Dennis Hopper, like going MIA for like 30, 40 minutes, um, Joe Bob Briggs and like the, the the presentation he gave on this a couple of years ago before a screening of it, he go he remember he asked Dennis Hopper, he said, Why'd you want to be in this film? Because Dennis Hopper would later go on to say this was the worst film he ever was involved with. Wow. More so than Super Mario Brothers. You beat me to it. Just like I beat your joke at the start, you beat me. <laughs> I was about to say, how? Like how didn't like everybody say that they hated like everybody that worked on it? Yes, John, that movie. John Leguizamo, Bob Hoskins. Yes, everybody who was on that set seems to hate Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> uh, but no, but apparently, according to uh, Joe Bob Briggs, he asked Dance Hopper, why do you want to be in this movie? And the joke was that, like, oh, it had to pass through, like, six or seven of Dance Hopper's agents that finally, like, landed in his lap, the script. And he says the first reason why he enjoyed, he wanted to do this was that they were filming in Austin, and his friend Willie Nelson lived there. <laughs> okay. And then two, apparently they have a lot of nice golf courses in Austin and he loved to play golf with Willie Nelson. Okay. And then third reason why he took this movie, took this role was that he said his character disappears on page 30. and doesn't reappear until page 100. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so he had a lot of time to hang out with Willie Nelson and play golf. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of the reason why. Because it's funny, because you look at, like, Dennis Hopper was in, like, so many movies that, like, the man died in 2010, mm-hmm. and his last credited acting role was in 2018. Oh, wow. Man, what was it? What was his last, what was he credited I, last as? It, it's something. It's something he probably worked on. It's probably some movie that he probably made sometime in the 2000s. It just, it probably sat on a shelf until mm-hmm. eventually got released. But... He, he had done so many different things. In 1986 really was kind of like a reemergence for him between this and I think he had three movies come out this year. Blue Velvet, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and I forget what the third one is. It's something that most, most some people would recognize its name. But it really was him kind of like reforging his career where he went from kind of being like the, I don't want to say be like laid back, like hippie person. And it became more like the manic, like Frank from blue velvet where it was just like screaming and yelling at people yeah fuck heineken pabs blue ribbon <laughs> i need to fuck well, what's he say i'll fuck anything that moves yeah. <laughs> i need to get good at doing like the um the inhale sound because you know how he has oh, like yeah. his, his his tank type of thing oh yeah all the time because most of his screaming comes like directly after or before he inhales from that thing it's great Rob, did I ever tell you the first time I ever saw, like, a clip of Dennis Hopper in a movie? I don't think so. 
this was like probably one of the most like oh god the most like god one of those watershed moments for me in movies it was in the summer of 2001 cbs had one of the specials of like afi presents it was a hundred years, a hundred thrills, like a cinema's most like thrilling films. Mm-hmm. And the clip that and obviously Blue Velvet was on the list. And they showed the clip of Blue Velvet with like Kyle McLaughlin in the closet and it's Dennis Hopper like on on the mask. He's like, Mommy, mommy, <laughs> mommy. And I remember like me watching that at like Oh god, eight years old and being just like, what is this? I, I remember because again, it was a hundred movies, so like it really was a lot to digest all at yeah. once. But like I remember seeing it being like, what is this? And they really because again, like when with any sort of those like specials, they kind of assume you know what most of the movies are. So there's very little context. It's more just like other like noteworthy people in Hollywood giving like a brief commentary like on the movie and like the actors involved. Mm-hmm. But I can still remember it. it's like mommy, mommy. <laughs> And I think that was like the final clip before they showed going to commercial. Cause like the thing they, like right before every commercial like break, they would go through like what the last 10 films were and they played like the little heart monitor beep, beep, beep. And that was, it was like, it was, I remember just being really kind of like, again, I never, I didn't know what the movie was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that, that was my first introduction. I guess that was my first introduction to David Lynch without me ever even knowing it. And then it was also my first introduction to to Blue Velvet and Dennis Hopper. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, that yes. would that's a crazy scene to be experienced with for the first time. I think from any actor, just that's that's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially eight years old. At yeah, eight years yeah, old. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, Look what but... it did to you now. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about Blue Velvet on this podcast. We figure out how we work in like a naked woman showing up on someone's front lawn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. One one day we'll get to Lynch related things. One day. Uh, one day. I think it's funny. We've been doing this podcast for almost two years. And like we look at all the things we've covered or like double dipped on. Like we have like 16 Animal Collective episodes. <laughs> we have we have all this stuff. Yet somehow we have not talked about David Lynch at all. Yep. Yep. Uh, we'll we'll get there. It's, it's definitely a- in the in the spreadsheet. It's on our. Uh... On the tip of our tongues, you know, I think every week, but it's always like trying to find the best spot for it. It's a cinematis mystery. Yes. <laughs> That'll be the Patreon. It'll be like 10 grand <laughs> for, per episode of us discussing David Lynch. Um, but yeah, so after that, like uh, you have the climax where pretty much the exact same thing happens from the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre where Grandpa is brought down and they want to draw they want to draw blood from her so grandpa can feed and it's just them trying to like have grandpa hit her hit the the final girl with a mallet and then lefty shows up yeah lefty shows up and, mm-hmm. and, and this she's like lefty darling or what's he, he say what's he call her darling her sister sister yes because yeah because lg always called her darling and there's one scene where she says don't call me that but that goes away like immediately and then for some reason he calls her sister, like hey, you know, like oh the sister type of thing, not his sister, but you know that more, more, I, yeah, yeah, more a, rever- a reverence sort of way. Yeah, yeah, yes, we have that though, and then we have our fine, t- fantastic climax that I think we've described in some detail, but we can never do it true justice because for all intents and purposes, just everything like hits the fan. And it's glorious. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's um, of course made me think of Mandy with the chainsaw fight. Um, this one, of course, being much more uh, goofy <laughs> and and better lit, if I remember correctly. 
Well, clearly this this sequence is the inspiration for the scene in Mandy. Yeah, it, it had to be, and and you know, especially when I was watching some of this, and we were getting more of the um. This is the the first time I've spent you know so much with uh, with Leatherface and seeing him on screen rather than just knowing him as the character. It, you know, it totally screamed the um. The, the Horn of Abraxas people, the, the Xenobites yeah. from Mandy. I can't remember what they're actually called, but um, yeah, so definitely huge inspiration to to Mandy, for sure. Yeah, because you, you have that, you have the cook turn around, he gets cut up the butt, and he falls, like, he goes, like, under the table as Leatherface and Lefty, like, face off. Uh, Stretch escapes, tries to escape, Chop Top goes after her, mm-hmm. and we have all this, and the whole time while this is going on, we have the cook under the table, and he's like, come here, nubbins, and he pulls, like, the the puppet corpse of Nubbins under the table. I've always loved that Nubbins. Like even to this day, anytime I like, I never call the hitchhiker character from the first film the hitchhiker. He's always Nubbins. Okay, okay. I, I, I think that's just funny. It's like it's oh, it's Nubbins, and he's like, "Come here, Nubbins. Where's that old f you Charlie of yours?" And he yeah. pulls out. He pulls out the hand grenade. I really like that where he he's searching through him and he's doing his great you know sh- the cook sh- uh, Drayton shtick. And he's like, where's that fuck you, Charlie? And I'm like, oh, okay, they're laying on the NAM stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just a hand grenade that's there for some reason. And, <laughs> and he pulls the pin on it, and he's, again, he's, he's holding it down. And it's like, he, he starts to see, like, he's ranting and rambling. Oh, guys, ranting and rambling. And then eventually, Lefty impales Leatherface with the chainsaw right through him. Mm-hmm. And Leatherface is still able to somehow operate during all this. Yeah, he's got, you know, super strength uh, villain properties. <laughs> yes. And then Lefty's like, I did it! And then, because I think what happens there, like Leatherface, I forget what happens, because the cook eventually gets, what, chainsaw because, like, it goes through the table, right? Yeah, and I think it it ends, or their fight part of it, before we go back to Chop Top and Stretch, doesn't the, the grenade, like, goes off early or something? Like, the cook, it, it, the cook is, like, gonna detonate it, and he's, like, about to say something, but it blows yes. up a little early or something like that. I thought he drops it. Yeah, that that might be it. He drops it, and then he's, like, trying to get away, but it goes off early. Something like that happens. Yeah. And then, like, Lefty's like, I did it! And then, like, the entire, they all blow up. Yes. And then we, and then we have Stretch trying to escape. Chop Top's doing the very same thing that Nubbins did in the first film with Sally, where he's just slicing at her back with, like, a straight razor. Mm-hmm. And, and we go through that, and she's, like, climbing to, like, the top of, like, the amusement park, despite the fact that it makes no sense considering how you're going to get down. And we have kind of like a brief fight here or there. I, I guess oh, she uh, before they get to the like the the rock face and outside, she hits him. She like hits his plate with a lamp to electrocute oh, yeah. him. Oh yeah, that I thought that was great, and I definitely spent way too much time researching like if that could happen. Oh, <laughs> and back in the day, apparently yes. Like today, of course, when like titanium is is used a lot for. Any metal that has to go into your body, if it is metal, because most of it's like this weird plastic type of stuff now, but if it is metal, it'll be titanium these days, which is not a great conductor, so that's no issue now. But what I found was back in the day, basically people would get metal plates in their head, like when they came back from NOM and stuff like that, and doctors would basically be like, yeah, you don't want to do anything with electricity ever, or you're going to die. <laughs> and if so, it was that I was actually kind of surprised to see that, where it was like, yeah, you might live, but you're going to be in the Stone Age. <laughs> well, the more you know, folks, the more you know. Because that goes on, they had a little fight up the stairs, she like almost kicks him over a railing, right? Or the railing lets go, and he's about to fall over. Yep. And she runs to the top, and she sees Grandma still there, Grandma being left over. Grandma's even more mummified than she was in the first film. 
Yeah, there's and, like a shrine to her at the top of the whole establishment. Yep, and she has a chainsaw in her lap, and he and she picks <laughs> it up and tries to start it. She top, tops. I love that. I love that there was just another chainsaw there. Because <laughs> why would there be? Yeah. And while she's trying to start it, Chop Top is like swiping at her back with the razor again. And she eventually gets it going. And she's able to fend him off to eventually he like falls down back into like the ruins of the blown up amusement park. Mm-hmm. And the final shot of the film is her with the chainsaw doing a very like Leatherface-esque dance from the first film. Where it's her screaming and just like dancing with it. And cue credits. I loved the ending of this movie like with her dancing and well well she knocks chop top off of the 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 roof or the 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 shrine wherever they are and he falls like in a perfectly choreographed manner into a little pipe that like takes him off screen and i'm like he tumbles he tumbles right down the slide yes and i'm like he's not dead (laughs) so and then and then that last shot where it's like she's just screaming and swinging the chainsaw around and it's panning out and it's showing kind of you know, this whole structure and there's the Texas flag right at the top of it. And it just cuts to credits and goes into Stuart Copeland's strange things happen. And I was like, Oh, Oh, that's how you end a movie. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I've never really liked the ending to this. Like, I don't know. I love the ending with like Dennis Hopper and stuff, but like the very ending with stretch and uh, chop top and her like going like bonkers. I, I never liked that. I felt it was just like, Oh, it felt a little hollow to me. Okay, I thought it was like the perfect kind of ramp up. Like I said before, where, you know, once the family shows up, it kind of gets crazier and crazier and it g- keeps going up for me. And, you know, with the with the theme park, I guess, motif or setting we've been talking about, you know, this movie felt like a roller coaster without the drop. Like I was always oh. ready. I was I was getting built up and I loved it. Like I'm, I'm on I'm on board for the ride. I'm waiting for it, you know, to get that adrenaline going. And then it kind of right when you expect it, it goes to the credits and the song strange things happen. I think sums it up perfectly because that's Copeland just being like, yeah, life's weird. We don't really know why anything happens, but it happens. And I was like, Oh, that's, I was so good. I, I, I was just sold completely. I'm glad. Yeah, because I've never, I've never particularly cared for the ending in that sense. I do feel it gets a little too over the top. And why oh, is she... Like, like, are we supposed to assume that now she's going... Because, again, she does... The character of Stretch shows up in the third film. Mm, but, that was what but, I was going to ask you if she comes back as, like, the villain or something. No, no. Not, she shows up very briefly in the third film. It's more of a cameo than it is anything else. Okay. But okay. I never understood the ending. Like, it's like, oh, has she gone mad, too? Or is it her just kind of like her equivalent of Dennis Hopper being like, I did it. Mm, I, like I it, definitely took it as her going more mad. 
But that's a good question. That's a good question. Is it just like the victory pose type of thing? Yeah, that's kind of like always been my question. I, I couldn't really figure out what the ending's trying to convey to me, and that's why I've always kind of been like flat toward it. Okay, okay, under understandable, understandable. Fair enough. All right, because yeah, she shows up in the third film, like very early in the film, is like she's a news reporter, and that's it. Oh, okay. And, and I don't think she even I don't think she's even said her name is Stretch. I think it's just like it's the actress, and she's like, "Hi, I'm here reporting live from Channel Seven News." And it's like, oh, and the camera just like pans away, and it's supposed to show because the director of the third film is like, oh, like we want to pay like respect and like to like the second film, and mm. that's kind of like that. And she's in it for maybe like I don't know, ten seconds, like tops. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. But I, but, I, uh, I'm, I've read, I, I did read in my research for this that uh, her, her true character name, like her given name, is Vanita Brock. Do they ever say that in the movie? I, I don't think so. Okay, yeah, because I didn't pick on it. Because it just starts, the first introduction we get to her is she takes the call from the douchebags at the start while she's DJing at a radio station. And she's like, this is the rock and roll, blah, blah, blah. This is Stretch. What's your request? And that's like it. And she's just Stretch for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I never, I don't remember her. I've only seen this movie a handful of times, but I don't remember her name ever being, her, her proper name ever being said. Yeah, because when I was looking into it afterwards, you know, her, her first name is Vanita, uh, from at least from what I've read. So V-A-N-I-T-A. And I was like, that's very close to vanity. And I was like, but I couldn't see any way that that made sense with her character. Like, I don't think her yeah. character is, is like, you know, always caring about her looks or anything. She's definitely just the, I got tied up in this and I need to escape type of person. Yeah. That, I okay. think that's what it's supposed to be. I don't think there's supposed to be any, like, multiple layers to stretch as a character. Okay. And the, the uh, I guess on the, the topic of names, while we had Stretch, and she apparently has a real name, uh, everything I found, LG is just LG. <laughs> no, they, they never gave him a name, so I guess he's, what, Lucky Gold Star? <laughs> sure. Let's call him that. I think that's copyright infringement, so maybe we have to bleep that out. <laughs> Uh, all right. One last thing about this film before we delve into our uh, end of the episode topics. I want Rob now to kind of show him the trajectory of where the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series goes in. I want him to go onto YouTube, and I want you two as the audience to do this. Type in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 teaser trailer. It's only about 60 seconds long, but I want, I want everyone to hear Rob watch this trailer, and I want him to describe what he's seeing in context to what he just watched. The uh, so it's it's Leatherface colon the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 1990 trailer. Yeah, it's, it's like what, like sixty seconds long, ninety seconds yeah, long. Yeah, minute minute thirteen. Yep. Yeah. Well, I want you to watch this okay. and describe what's going on. Oh, the preview has been approved for all audiences. That's good. New, <laughs> I see, New Line Cinema. I see what you mean about different people every time. <gasps> okay, it looks like Leatherface is brooding over a lakefront. If that is Leatherface. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck am I seeing? <laughs> <laughs> Did Jason Voorhees just throw Leatherface's chainsaw from the bottom of Crystal Lake? <laughs> the saw is family. Look at that. All right. I want you to go back and notice the hand that's coming out of the water yeah, with the chainsaw. What, what was that? Okay, because legend is forever. The chainsaw starts to breach the water. Look at Can the I, hand, though. It's yeah, like it's it's like a medieval woman's hand. Like it's like very much like a medieval fantastic. Like it has like the. <laughs> it looks like the. It looks like uh, the the villain from Suicide Squad, that weird Egyptian, 
curse thing, that yep. woman, that's exactly what it looks like. Because it has, like, the jewel on the, the back of the hand, like, right in the middle. And it's wrapped around the middle finger and then wraps around the wrist and stuff. So what is this, like, Leatherface, the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor? <laughs> the movie has literally nothing to do with any of that. Oh, the okay. Only, the only, okay, for everybody at home that had to listen to that, the trailer is, it's Leatherface, like, standing over a lake with his back to the camera. We cut to the water. A chainsaw starts to, like, oh, God, puncture through the water, protrude through the water, and we and it's very, like, oh, God, ornate chainsaw. It's like a regular chainsaw. And we see this, like, very, like Rob said, medieval very fantastic, like, hand come up, throw the chainsaw out of the water. Leatherface catches it very, like, He-Man, I have the power! Oh, and yeah. And then he grabs it, like, spins around. We see him, and it, like, cuts to, like, it black, like, like a silhouette blackout of him, and it's, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, the Saw's family. Coming yeah, to a theater, and, and theater nearest you. Lightning, there is a lightning oh, strike yeah. that hits hits his chainsaw. Yep, that, yep, that's yep. funny. <laughs> Yeah, and literally nothing from that sequence, or even anything that's like hinted at there, is in the final film. Yeah, I'm actually looking at the top. Uh, I guess on on my viewing of it, the the first comment on this video is best trailer ever. I wish the movie had been as insane as this trailer. And then the second comment is Leatherface looks like Meatloaf in this trailer, <laughs> <laughs> which he kind of does, I guess. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I, I've always found that trailer like hilarious. I've always found it amusing. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah, now with the meatloaf comment, I wanted to like he catches the uh, chainsaw, it zooms in on his face, and I wanted to just start like you know, I would do anything for love or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Rob's doing a mashup trailer. Edit. Oh, that's great. That, okay, right on. So, right on. but you said like this commenter, you agree that the movie is nowhere near. Oh. As- it's nothing. The movie pretty okay. much plays out as like a poor man's like reinterpretation of the first film. Mm, uh, yeah, I, I have it on DVD. The most interesting. It's another one of those movies where the the story behind it is infinitely more interesting than the movie itself. Sure. Because like, the, because like it was made by New Line, so it was made by the same people who um that did uh, Freddy Krueger, and at that point had the I think they might have just gotten the rights. No. They hadn't gotten the rights yet to Jason, and it was like, oh, okay, we want like we want to make money off this now too. And like the director like shot the entire film, and the director like kept being told to like change and edit things to the point where I think the director just like walked away from it because it's like I can't I can't work under these conditions. Okay, and then I forget what else happened. I know like at the end, the protagonist of the movie, I forget his name. He's a he's kind of like a he's a B movie actor. And he he's like our pseudo protagonist. In the end of the movie, he gets like chainsawed through the head, and then at the very end of the movie, he shows up again. Oh, oh and he's okay. fine. And he's fine. <laughs> and the reason why they did that was apparently they test screened it, and the audiences liked him so much they didn't want him to die. Oh, so, he's, okay. so he's brought him back. Sure, sure. Despite uh, then, the fact and, that he clearly dies, and and uh, you know, years years later. The same thing repeats itself with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, God, we killed off Tony Stark. (laughs) And he's back. And he's back. It's like the reverse of that South Park joke with the economy. They're like, oh, yeah, we're just going to take your money and put it in this Roth IRA. And it's gone. (laughs) And the Marvel Universe is like, oh, yeah, you know, 22 movies and Tony Stark dies and he's back in the next one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. But, yeah, so uh, that's that. So with that being said, Rob. Cinemani and or late night movie for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. 
So uh, one I'm set on, one I'm kind of on the fence. The one I'm set on is Cinemodity. I want to say yes. I think it, it harkens back to what I said near the start of this discussion, that when I sat down with my knowledge, uh, not very grand, you know, just my knowing about through cultural osmosis, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, this was not what I expected. This was completely different than what I expected, and it was a pleasant surprise. And I think everything we've discussed in this uh, discussion is exactly why it falls into the cinemodity category for me. Late Night is the one I'm kind of on the fence, because while I think it would work as a late night movie, I, I don't know if this is the thing that is going to elicit certain responses that I want from people. Like, sure, I know people who love horror movies. They love slasher movies. We could throw this on for sure. But it might be more of just like, oh, they want to see it because they haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a long time, maybe. I, I don't know if there's anything really in here that a late-night movie would lead me to kind of the, the conversations and responses I am looking for from other people. I think it's more of a, like, one of the specific cases of, you know, know your audience. Because it's like... I'm not saying that if you watch this movie, you have no, nothing to say about it. Zach and I clearly had stuff to say about it. But I think you need to have somebody like like Zach who's so into this genre that they're willing to, you know, get into this type of stuff late at night. So I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence, a little leaning towards no, but maybe yes with that caveat of if you have someone as, you know, crazy horror loving as we are. Uh, I, again, I'm going to say cinemati, yes. Because I think this was one of the first, like, like, uh, oh, good lord, commercial horror films that really tried to be zany with the property and turn it on its head. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a late night movie for the exact reason why Rob enjoyed it. Is that I think a lot of people going into this hear a title like Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, and they have a very specific idea of what they're in store for. And yes, it does have certain elements of that that come along with it. But I do think this is a much more cartoony. A pulpy film than what most people are expecting. I think that's why it worked as a late night movie. For the same reason why Rob's expectation expectations were subverted, I think that would work for most people. Mm, okay, that's an interesting point. Yeah, because that yeah, that's something I didn't think of. If you have people who are more familiar with this, um, maybe not even more familiar than I am, just similar knowledge to me, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. When you tell them Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they're gonna get some notion of what to expect in their head, just like I did. And it could be used, or what you're saying is it could be used as something of a, you know, pulling the rug out from them and saying, oh, look at this. Look how strange this is. You know, is is this kind of what you thought? Yeah, I'd maybe. More silly. I'd say silly more than strange. Sure, sure. I guess I guess I'm, I'm, the way you're describing it also makes me think of our Terminator 2 discussion where I would want that to be a late night movie so I could say to people, do you remember this movie being this bad and childish? Whereas this would be like, do you remember this movie being silly? Do you remember, do you, did you expect this movie to be silly? So, okay, okay, you're, you're push, pushing me a little more towards the yes, okay. Yeah, no, I, I think I think this works as a late night movie just because people, and I think we've said it numerous times on here, is that typically with late night movies, you're showing someone something for the first time. Um, the notion of a late night movie being a repeat viewing for both parties, I think is kind of like not what it's designed to be. Mm-hmm. It's not, yeah, I, again, I, just, I think if, if two people as a late night movie are watching the same thing, unless it's the fact that neither one of them has seen it in a while, um, I think you're defeating the purpose. Sure, sure. Nothing's nothing's worse than a late night movie where both people are v- very familiar with with the film. 
Definitely. But this is one where I would say it's kind of like how I viewed it for this, where I was like, oh, I haven't seen this movie in 10 years. I remember it being, uh, it's very much in the same camp as like Dead Alive was for me, where it's like, oh, I know I really enjoyed this, but I just forgot how zany and just how absurd it can be at times. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I think that works. Like if someone's never, again, especially people who die, I think this movie would probably work better for people who aren't diehard horror fans, because I think a lot of them that are entrenched in the horror camp, a have most likely seen this. This is, this isn't really an obscure film by any stretch, mm-hmm. pardon the pun, but it's, it's also the thing too, that if you want people I'm sorry, people who have already who are familiar with this, they're not gonna be surprised by the genre being turned on its head because Scream like ruined that forever. Uh, because okay. after Scream, everything had to be, oh, look how meta this is. Again, horror couldn't be scary anymore. Horror mm-hmm. had to be, oh look, we're turning the tropes on their like uh, uh, on themselves. And that's where I kind of think I really like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003 remake, is that it's not tongue-in-cheek at all. Like it's not okay. this it's it's not tongue in cheek. It's not like this meta like, oh, we know how crazy this is. Mm-hmm. Which is I think an argument can be made. And maybe this will be a uh, sub this would be a sub fortnight within the Fortnite on on the horror genre. <laughs> is the sub fortnight on like the meta slasher genre. Because like in the nineties you get Scream, but before Scream you had Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which were both directed by Wes Craven, and New Nightmare is like a very prototype is a prototypical version of what scream would be. It's very meta. It's very, mm-hmm. cause the whole thing of new nightmare is that like it's Heather Langenkamp who plays Nancy and it takes place in the universe where the nightmare on Elm street films have been filmed or, or movies, but then like a real life, like demon shows up and it's like, it takes the form of Freddy Krueger. It feeds off like the audience's like hunger for more of the character. Oh, okay. And that very much is a thing that like, would, it's not exactly from that to scream but it's the idea of like oh the tropes being recognized in the film themselves gotcha exactly and i yeah. think and i think texas chainsaw massacre 2 is very similar to that i think it was like a very a very early first step to that sort of thing we're like oh the movie's going to recognize mm. the very specific turns the plot has to take in these type of films oh okay okay but yes, I think this film works better for someone who's not ingratiated in the genre. Kind of like compared to me, like well, Rob compared to me is not as entrenched in this as I am, and even I'm not as entrenched in the horror genre as the diehards are because like I enjoy this stuff, but it's more of like a a hobby. It's not like my mm-hmm. oh man, I live for this stuff. Like oh, I can't wait for. I think even a couple of years ago they released a new Texas Chainsaw film. It was like oh yuck. It was like I want. It's like oh, it's like Leatherface. <laughs> it's like Leatherface is a teenager, and I'm like I don't care. I don't want this. I'm like this is not what this is not what the series was ever intended to be. It's yeah. not. I, I don't want a coming of age story for like a baby psychopath. It's like no, that that just sounds bad. Yeah, um, that sounds insane. <laughs> yeah, it's not what I want. It might not be. Bad. That's not fair because I haven't seen it. It might be a very good film, but it's just not what I want from this series. Exactly. But I think this film works better with people because, again, you do tell people like I remember like back in high school when like I was watching like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the first one. And my, my mother came in as I was watching just wanting to see like what it was because she could, she knew what it was. She never watched that sort of stuff, but she wanted to see it. Okay. It was during the dinner sequence where like <laughs> they have like Sally tied up and they're all like howling. And she's like, this this is this is just like comical. Like it's after a while, like it's not scary. It just becomes like zany. And that yeah. was from the first film. And this entire film relative for the first one is just comical and zany. Okay, okay. 
Especially you, you do have like just a lot of it is intentionally zany, but then you have those elements too, like Dennis Hopper with a giant log, just like <laughs> going at it with two chainsaws, <laughs> and you have the, the chainsaw owner that's like like rubbing his belly button and like licking his chops. Yep. It's like oh, you have that element too. So no, I think this works better for people who don't who think they're going into like an insanely gory movie, and then get the rug pulled out from underneath them. I think it works better oh, as that okay. than somebody who's and like I said, someone who's familiar with the genre knows what the, you'd be rare to find if you you'd be very hard pressed to find someone that's mm. a horror fan that has not seen this or has some idea of what it is sure yep good point point. and yep. overall i do think the whole point of what i think rob would agree the idea of a late night movie is you got somebody in your clutches and the, and i think the whole point too of, again part of the late night movie is blindsiding somebody mm-hmm. i don't think you ever your intention is to so, show somebody a late night movie and them expecting 100% what they're going to get. True, true, absolutely. I think that movie plays into at least that aspect where a late-night movie should be. Yeah, okay, yep. I see. Yeah, I think you convinced me. It's definitely leaning towards a yes, and I think it, it could work for sure. Um, but when you brought it up, the um, you know maybe seeing or showing this to someone who hasn't seen it in a very long time, doesn't really remember it, that'd be interesting. Um, or the, the, the newcomer type of thing. So yeah, okay. That brings us to snacks, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So like I said at the start of this whole uh, episode, uh, it is it is ridiculous. It's uncanny how similar the kitchen of the Cinemodities restaurant looks to the abandoned amusement park where the family lives. Um, you know, I'm, uh, let me hit uh, let me hit the word processor of the gods to make sure no food inspectors or health inspectors hear that. But okay, snacks. Here we go. <laughs> I want to start I want to start with one that when I thought of it, I was kind of surprised that I didn't think of it when we did Mandy a year ago. So just like we had a chainsaw duel in Mandy, we have a chainsaw duel in this movie that we've discussed. What do you think about we have an event at the restaurant which is a chainsaw duel? I'm thinking Ooh. very much like the um, like the jousting at the medieval yes. fantasy restaurants. Yes. Like we do that, but with chainsaw duels. What do you think? I, oh, I, you took the you took the idea right out of my head. I was going to say like medieval times. <laughs> yes, yes. I think I I was like thinking about that yesterday, and I was like, how did I not pitch this? How did neither of this think of this for Mandy with the chainsaw duel? So maybe it had to it had to uh, stew in our heads for a year, and we had to see another chainsaw fight for that idea to really come into fruition. The only question I have, Zach, is do we rework? an existing kind of stage or feature that we have for the chainsaw duels, like say the animatronic stage or something like that, or do we straight up like Olympics or world cup it and we build a new stadium in the restaurant every time there's a new chainsaw event? Oh, we build a stadium every single time there's a new event. Well, that's, that's, that's kind of what I, I wanted to get your thoughts, you know, cause like the Olympics and the world cup, they always build stadiums and it's oh. like, do we, should we do that since we've established that our restaurant is eternal in both uh, size and existence, <laughs> that you know we could just have new stadiums every every now and then, right? <laughs> uh, I know I, that's a thing, though. Is that with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> I I like the idea of of again a chainsaw like jousting tournament, but I don't know if we have to build a new like stadium each time. I I think that might be a tad overkill. <laughs> okay, so then the question becomes: Do we build? Do we have one new kind of stadium or arena that we build for these events, or do we repurpose something we already have? Like, like, do we are we saying that we're going to have people chainsaw dueling like while the Vox Lux animatronics are running? 
Like well, on the same stage? Well, I don't know if it's the same stage because all the wiring is there. But it might be. I, I think we should build a specific er, like area, like a jousting arena. Okay. But it, I don't think I don't say we build a new one though. Like each time, every day, new <laughs> stage. <laughs> it's like it's like the Winchester Mansion. We just keep building and building. Yes, definitely. The Winchester Mansion is somewhere in the restaurant for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I like. I can get behind that. You know, we can we could build some type of arena. People could maybe you know. You know, when they come in, they have to ask if they want the smoking, the non-smoking, the um, the kids section, the jousting section, the animatronics section. So, okay, I could I could see that. We're gonna need like amusement park esque maps, I think, oh, for yeah. our restaurant oh, eventually. Well, I was even thinking too. We're gonna need like a monorail. We're gonna need like a people mover, like gondolas, <laughs> boats, <laughs> little ferries that take people to and from rickshaws, <laughs> people running around. <laughs> leading rickshaws <laughs> they'd be like you know you, you go to a rickshaw and be like we need to get to table 84 6d and be like <laughs> i gotcha <laughs> like it gets on rickshaw starts darting around the restaurant to get to this one section oh man <laughs> it's a whole community in here <laughs> what we should do is we should get the johnny cabs from total recall oh perfect perfect and but the the uh the thing that i would want to make sure of they always get angry and run into the wall after they drop their customers <laughs> off. Like that doesn't happen just when the customers don't pay. It always happens. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy, more, more expenses, folks. He's building new stadiums every single day. Now, now he has our fleet of transportation bots just crashing. You don't, uh, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. Zach. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the, all that's the entire restaurant is just breaking eggs. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Okay, so good. I'm glad we're on the same page. We need some chainsaw duel event for sure. I mentioned it earlier. Have to have to say it. The French fry houses. Yes. I I I think that there needs to be some like R and D done. How how would we? Let's say we had on the menu. This is kind of the, the start of the idea. Let's say we had on the menu a French fry house, and someone's like, "What what the hell is that?" And be like, "It's a it's a house, like a little cabin or cottage." but built out of French fries. So it's, you know, French fries in an aesthetic way. How long would that take to make? Is that something that we can make and then heat up later? Like, would it fall apart if we tried to heat up a French fry house? Like, do we have to make it to order? I feel like it would be easier to build with cold fries because I feel like if you have hot fries, they're greasy, they might slip around. It might, you know, not be as stable as a cold French fry would. Also, do we have different options for French fries? Like, if you have steak fries, sure, you could probably build a house out of them. But what the hell are you doing with shoestring fries? Like, is anybody building a house out of McDonald's french fries? Is that ever going to happen? So, like, how do we how do we get this to work for our restaurant in a, in a reasonable way? Because uh, the other thing I'm saying is that this is just going to be a french fry house or a french fry structure. I don't want to limit ourselves to houses. And is that – so just french fries, you know, is that something that we could do – quickly or would it have to be like an order ahead type of thing and that leads me to the next part of it where if you don't want it to be a house what if you want it to be some type of structure you know is there anything that we're gonna limit our customer from ordering like who's i i would do it i would go in and say let me get the french fry house but instead of a log cabin i want the golden gate bridge to scale and it's like <laughs> and it's like i want you know i want that tower in dubai that looked look like it's bent or, or curving around type of thing and be like, I want the Forbidden City in China. 
And it's like, do we put limits on our customers for what? Because if anything we've said, I think everybody can agree. Zach, the audience, the, our lawyers, our R&D, our cooks, our workers, the car wash people. If there's one thing the Cinemodities restaurant sets out to do, it's to make sure we don't put limitations on our customers' imagination, right? Yes, Rob. Because I can't I, even say that with a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, I think I figured out your dilemma. What we do is we, we give, instead of limiting our customers' creativity, but at the same time not bankrupting us, what we do is we offer them the French fry gingerbread man kit. So instead of getting like the little panels of gingerbread and you make them yourself, you get like unlimited fries and it's up to you to make your own structure. <laughs> so it's like you get a, uh, you get like a kit of French fries, like they're Lincoln logs or, or something like that. <laughs> Essentially. It's like, it's, it's like making, you know, those gingerbread house kits you can buy around yeah. like November, December. It's one of those. You can get them in any style you want. Steak fries, like Parmesan fries, uh, sweet potato fries. And you get like whatever adhesive you want, ketchup, like ranch, mayonnaise, mustard, actual con- glue, <laughs> actual glue, yes, <laughs> Elmer's, um, any of that stuff. It's up to you. So in a way, you know what? We're not limiting the customer's creativity, but at the same time, though, we're not going to go insolvent this way, or at least this specific way. <laughs> that that's an interesting idea, um, and I think that has some great merit because then we could, you know, if it gets popular. In the same place we do our chainsaw dueling events, we could have like French fry building events. And people sure. like would, would love that. But that's kind of a different I was thinking more of we wouldn't get notoriety for the French fry related stuff because we were letting the customer do it. We would get notoriety because of the great artistry of our chefs. So that's where I was oh. coming in. Like our, like our chefs are like, you know, it's like cake boss, but French fry boss. And they're making the best sculptures and structures out of French fries. And then the customers get that. But so, Rob, but it's kind of like two, two, two different ways to go. Do we put it more in the hands of the customer? Or do we train French fry artists at our restaurant? And clearly, Zach wants the customer to have the stuff. But I don't know. A French fry artist on payroll is something I don't think we have. French fry artisans. Yes, exactly. And maybe you could do the whole thing where... You know, like in some fancy restaurants or, or factories, the food factories, they have like the tours where customers are walking by and they got the big glass windows so you can see their process as they're making the, the structures and things like that. Oh, my God, I just had a great idea. There is there's got to be multiple people out there that would not want a wedding cake. They would want a wedding French fry structure, right? <laughs> Wedding French fry structure rolls off the tongue beautifully. This is exact. Okay, okay. I'm I'm convinced now. We need to start having weddings in the Cinematics restaurant <gasps> because people yes! want these great French fry structures. <laughs> oh man, we have, we now have a wedding banquet hall. Yes, yes. And can you wait, think- wait, wait? Can you have your ceremony there, or can you actually be wed there? I would say everything. I would say it's a one-stop <laughs> shop, you know? Oh, do we have, do we have dressmaking services too? Like you get, you, it's kind of like a Las Vegas almost. <laughs> Mostly duct tape dresses or <laughs> duct tape and jizzle dresses, but sure. <laughs> oh man, folks. We just, okay. On top of the water park, on top of all the other things we've added, we now have a wedding pavilion. Yes. I love it. I love it. Do we, we have to have someone out of all the walk-around characters we've introduced, there has to be one of them that's like an ordained, an ordained minister. minister. Yeah, so they could actually wed people, you know? Nelson Delarosa. 
<laughs> whoa, 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 a sec. Richard Stanley has to be ordained. I can ordain minister, right? If all the weird stuff that he's into, he must have like gotten drunk one night and like filled out a survey on the computer. Could you imagine him like performing a service like that? Where he, he's saying all the regular things or the usual things that a, a minister would say, but then he's also like, you know, and I strike back the curses that come from the darkness into your into your wedding and, and matrimony, and the everybody's just like, oh, okay, are we going to get to kiss soon? And then Nelson De La Rosa comes out and punches everybody in the genitals. <laughs> <laughs> I like to imagine like somebody going to like uh, I like to imagine like I'm talking to my girlfriend or my fiance and I'm being like, all right, honey, I have an idea. I'm not married to it, but I just want to run it by you. <laughs> what if Richard Stanley, director of hardware, marries us? And it's like, can we can we get like is that possible? Can we get him? And it's like, okay, step two, it's at a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sold, honey? <laughs> oh my! God. I wonder, like, if you knew Richard Stanley on a personal level. Do you think he would like? Well, I'm not saying like you just like email him or like mess like you're sending like a a letter to him. Like, if you knew him like on a semi personal basis, and you have to be like, Mr. Richard Stanley, would you marry me and my significant other? Do you think he'd do that if, if somebody know. asked him? I, I can't see him a, saying no. Like he he'd probably yeah. be he probably would be amused by the idea at the very least. Haven't done that in a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm also imagining where it's like, you know, how do we get Richard Stanley to wet us and be like, you know that restaurant we're always hearing about on the news because so many people die? That's where he performs his weddings, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. Do we have to make a reservation? And it's like, no, no, just, we just walk in, apparently. <laughs> All right, Rob, going back to our Island of Dr. Moreau episode, I think we had an argument between the Richard Stanley walk-around character and the Richard Stanley one. I think if we can get Richard Stanley to to be an ordained minister, I'm willing to 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 give to that. Okay, okay. Um, I'm still waiting to hear back on your decision from last week. The trade off between the Ted Bundy. Remember the checks and balances, Ted yes. Bundy and Nelson De La Rosa. Okay, so that's still on the table. But if we can get Richard Stanley to perform weddings, then that's going to be its own thing. Yes. Okay. 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 Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll reach out to him. Um, I guess, you know, Mark Cuban probably knows him, right? <laughs> you would imagine so. <laughs> yeah, you know, every time you watch a Mavs game, Richard Stanley always has courtside seats. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I had, I actually have more snacks, Zach. Oh, God. Uh, so the same scene with the French Fry House. We also mentioned that chili gets poured into this trophy that Drayton gets for winning the chili cook-off. Um, I love this idea. I think when we serve chilies and soups... They should be in a trophy, like with with some type of bowl at the top of it. But here's the kicker. The trophy is so tall that you would have to stand up at your table to eat from it. So either like when the waiter comes by and he puts the trophy right in front of you, like it is comically large and the, the chili in the soup bowl is all the way at the top that it's infeasible for you to eat it while sitting down. So the customer then has to either stand and eat while this is resting on the table or they have to pick up the trophy Put it like waist level, hold it and eat from it. Either way, you're going to look foolish doing it. And that's, you don't, we don't want to stifle anybody's imagination at the restaurant, but we also want to make sure you look really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> if someone's not uncomfortable, they're not at the cinema in these restaurants. Exactly. So I was thinking like, you know, basically it's just take everything that we would serve in a bowl, elevate it with a trophy. And when I say elevate, I don't mean like elevate to a fancy restaurant level. I mean, literally gain height. With a trophy. <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. I like that.
And then the last one I have is a quick one. It's a throwaway line of dialogue, it seems. But when um, the family, uh, Chop Top and Leatherface, they, they beat up LG. Chop Top thinks Stretch is dead. They go back to their amusement park. And they, like, unload LG into the, the room. And the father says something like, you know, okay, fillet him up, cut him up good, something like that. He finds uh, Stretch. There's another quick scene where the family, I think the father comes back in, or the cook comes back in, and he's like, are you hiding something over there? And Leatherface convinces him no. And the cook says, well, okay, get back to chopping this dude up and make sure you get that eyeball pate done. Oh, yes. Eyeball pate. Enough said. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I actually looked up if people eat eyeballs. Apparently in Iceland and Greenland, they eat sheep's eyeballs. Don't they? I think... Is it eyeballs and brains or just brains from the Temple of Doom? I don't remember. Oh, but, yeah, the monkey brains, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is a thing. Uh, I don't know what, you know, eyeball pate, how else we're going to, like, what veggies will we want in there? Would it just be eyeball ground up and shaped into a pate? But I, I heard that line, and I was like, that is too good not to have at our restaurant. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Is that it for you, Rob? Yeah, that's it. Yep. What do you got? All right, I think we should hire as an extension because considering the the Cinematis restaurant can only be in one location, we license out Drayton's food truck as the extension of the Cinematis restaurant. (laughs) So, like, to go to like food trucks and oh yeah, make some extra money. Okay, (laughs) and and to spread awareness of the brand. Gotcha. So, I like that idea. We're going to have to do some work if we do this, though. With you know what menu items are available in the food truck. Versus the restaurant. Like, is there going to be a portable caviar glory hole? Like, is basically the exhaust of our <laughs> food truck going to just be spitting caviar out? Or do we not have that? Uh, is there, like, the if somebody orders the Goosebumps meal where they, they have the, the evil camera takes pictures of somebody till it turns them into food, we, we can't take the evil camera out of the restaurant. That was one of our conditions that it has to be, like, protected so, you know, it doesn't get us into trouble type of thing. So we're going to have to work out, you know, what's on the food truck menu type of thing. Mm, I uh, like okay. it. Okay. Well, we'll leave that indeterminate and then come for the end of the second year anniversary. We'll delve into what items from the, uh, the yeah. menu can be ported over. Yeah. Because, you know, food truck, people go to food trucks. They want it quick. They want to get it, get in, get out, you know, eat their food while they're walking type of thing. We need stuff that, you know, matches up with that. Hmm. Who's going to be driving? the? Are we going to have like a Drayton? Sawyer character driving the food truck, or is it going to no, be like him. the? It's him. It's oh, him. it's just him. <laughs> so, so then, okay, I would imagine if it's just him, a lot of the stuff that he's serving will just be human meat. <laughs> well, I think too, a lot of it's going to be concerned that our menu is almost as zany as his. I think he'd be willing to adapt some of our items. Okay, okay, yeah, maybe we can we can strike a deal up with him, like a, a licensing thing or something like that. We could blend our menus together. Exactly, or maybe first, maybe do the first Amadi's merger. Mm, I, I, I'm going to say feature rather than merger because oh, okay. he's not going to own a goddamn bit of this. We're going <laughs> to legally swindle him out of any rights Rob, he has Rob, to owning. <laughs> Rob, are you telling me we haven't offered the Cinemodities IPO yet? <laughs> Just to Mark Cuban. <laughs> he's our only investor. Me, you, and Mark Cuban, Zach. It's an elite club. <laughs> I like that, folks. That's what we're going to do for like, the 10-year the, the anniversary of Cinematis, the initial public offering. You, too, can buy stock of this restaurant. <laughs> now, that would be great. 
to read like to to do something like that and then like reach out to Mark Cuban and be like, you might not know this, but we've referenced you regularly on our podcast for ten years. <laughs> we go on the Shark Tank like ten years from now and we tell him like like all this. It's like actually we've said you are our benefactor for years now. Can you make us retroactively not liars? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I can imagine we're on uh, after we have our like IPO, we have like uh, tens of thousands of investors. Like we've we've like somehow swindled like millions of dollars. We're on like America's most wanted, the FBI's most wanted list. And like, oh god, what's it? John Walsh is like these two guys made a fake phony restaurant where all these horrendous things happen. And they play <laughs> audio from the podcast, trying to explain to the audience about the like, the glory hole cat. I imagine John Walsh is being like glory hole caviar, trophies you eat from. <laughs> Condiment choo choo train. <laughs> this might sound like the most zany restaurant to ever exist, and it doesn't because it's not real. <laughs> True Detective season four. Someone's gonna go missing in our restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Well, technically, wouldn't we be under the uh, purview of uh, Mariska Hargitay? Oh, that's right. Yeah, we talked about Law and Order Cinematities, where they find a the bo- Oh, that was because we don't have a ball pit; we have a bone pit. Yes, and they keep finding they keep like finding uh, leads on cold cases from the bones <laughs> in our bone pit. That's right. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. And now that season twenty one of of Zvu is started, they they are primed to get that in there. <laughs> you know they've done they've done their their Harvey Weinstein episode. They've done their hate crimes episode. So what's left? It's the Cinemodities Restaurant episode. Start that spinoff. Yes, and she comes in. She spends the entire like hour like lecturing us on like rape culture. Oh, definitely. Like she comes in like about like like bones that are in the bone pit, and like it's just like lecturing us about like rape culture. And Rob's just sitting there, like I'm passed out, like like just like knocked out at this point from like boredom. And Rob's just sitting there, like, "Lady, get to the chase." <laughs> no one's raping. Like Rob's like all the weird shit we do in this place. No one's raping bones. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like we're we're sitting there and we're like, "Ma'am," or, and to her, to Mariska Hargitay, to any police officer, it's like, "Listen." A lot of crimes happen in this place, but we know for a fact zero of them are rape related. Okay, we are a wholesome community to our standards. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, that's great. Already, Rob. So I think we know how we're going to end this episode, right? Oh, I ah, uh, uh, part of me wants to play Buckethead in reverse. Part of me wants to play Strange Things Happen in reverse. The 85 version from Copeland that they play in the movie. There's also the re-recorded version by Gizmodrome from like two years ago. So I don't know, Zach. I don't. How do you want to end the episode? I would like to hear some Drayton did again going backwards, but I know I'm not going to win that. <laughs> oh, it'll be a, it'll be a mashup. It'll, I'll get it all in there somehow. I I eventually do. <laughs> Just a cacophony of sounds. Yep. I uh, yep. Because I know. Everybody always, even if they don't listen to our whole discussion, they always snap to the end to hear what gets played in reverse, right? Well, why wouldn't they? <laughs> Definitely. All right. And um, with that being said, I guess, Zach, do you want to give any uh, insights into what next week's Monstober spot is going to be? All I'll say is all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Right on. Perfect. Perfect. I am going to um, brush up on my big wheel bike riding skills for next week as well. <laughs> good, good. And I'll brush up on my uh, making out with corpses in a bathtub. Ooh, perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if that's it, then this has been our second true Monstober episode. We can't wait to our next one. And uh, let's play some stuff in reverse. I know everybody's on the edge of their seat. 
just dying to see, hear what it's going to be.